than a gaggle of geese. More fun than a room full of wombats. Able to reach huge audiences with a single broadcast. Yes, it's the Outdoor Journal Radio Show. And now, another exciting episode in the adventures of Outdoor Journal Radio. Yes, sir, Bobby. Thank you once again for joining us. All of you wonderful like folks out yes, there. Yes, sir, Bobby. I like that one, buddy. Yes, sir, You're getting Bobby. better Mark at this. It down. Are you marking this shit down? No, because I want you to just be uh, off the cuff, and I want you to be fresh and original every time. So a new name. Yes, sir, Bobby. Yes, sir, Jimmy. Uh, give her to me, Sammy, and uh, all that kind of stuff from here on in, okay? Okay. All right, uh, you're 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 developing. You're like a you're oh. like a a daisy. You're, oh, you're developing daisy you're in front now, of my eyes. I'm yes. a daisy now. Yes, sir. Yes, yes. Wow. Yes, that's a, quite a step up coming from you. Well, you know, I'm a daisy could be a black eyed Susan if you keep this shit up. I'll tell you right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> uh, welcome to the program, Outdoor Journal Radio, the podcast. I'm Angelo Biola. He. The ignorant one is uh, Peter Bowman. <laughs> the ignorant one. Calling I have a, a new uh, moniker there. Calling right? me a daisy. The now. ignorant one. Yeah, yeah, welcome to the show, the ignorant one. And what a show it is, may I add, too. I'm very, I'm looking forward uh, to this This show. is going to be a great, great episode. I, I said that once before, I think. Yes, mm. once you did. Just one great? Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay, so this is going to be a great, great. great, great. Double great episode uh-huh. and that'd be for many reasons upon subject matter and guests and both. number of guests both, yeah. both oh yeah subject matter and guests and we have two guests and double everything everything dude you party. are something else uh we're going to be talking musky musky the elusive musky. And, and this is a great podcast for angelo and myself i'm going to speak for lunch. myself but i'm thinking angela as well we're we're okay with muskies. We know a little bit about muskie, but we there's always we something know. to learn. And this is a subject with me. There's always a lot to learn on muskie. You know what I mean? We so, know nothing compared to our guests. compared to these guys for sure. You know we get we're by, humbled by our guests. My my yeah. buddies will all be laughing at because they know what my thoughts on small muskies when I'm bass fishing are. It's like uh, Metallica, kill them all, sort of thing. Nice. You know I mean? you know, get them out of my system. Get them away from nice. me. But, but I love muskies. You club them? Do you club them? No, I I have been the. The part of killing one muskie many, many years ago when me and my buddies rented a cottage on Rice Lake and we decided we wanted to eat uh, fish that night and we had a muskie that was of legal size. Not good so tasting. we staked them up. No, it wasn't that good. I heard, I've heard from uh, at least two sources. Which I've never tried them, but yeah. I've heard from two sources that it's not. Yeah, that, it wasn't that, that great. Know. Now, which surprises me because pike and muskie are very similar. And pike are delicious, right? So I don't know. It's kind of weird. What be the difference between the two? I, you know what? I don't know because because we got ours at a rice lake in shallow water in the middle of the summer. Is that might you know? Because sometimes even pike, when you get out of the shallows in the summer, is not as good as a spring pike or a fall pike, right? So I don't know. Maybe maybe one of our guests should know about that. Although well, they don't want to talk about eating muskies, I'm sure. But today's guest, one will cover the theory. And one will cover the science. So we're going to have from wow. two totally different angles. Which would be, I like that. Maybe the science guy will know why they don't taste. Now, the science guy will He'll not lie. admit, he will not admit to having ever tasted one. So I yes. don't know I'm going to be the only of us four. I know I'm the only guy who said we clubbed one and ate it. I guarantee you. <laughs> uh, that's okay. you got to try. Uh, anyways, before we get into all that fun and merriment, uh, let's uh, uh, divest ourselves of our weekly responsibilities don't forget the fish in canada show on global television network every saturday that's right it's only days or a day away when depending on when you listen to this podcast or an hour away maybe or Or it just could be the same day or you're watching the show at the same time or you're you're about to tune into the show damn 
So you, well, you, you, caught yourself, you caught yourself. <laughs> no, you? I was going to move on to that. I was going to say, if you got the day after, you have to wait for six days to get there. Uh, so. Anyways, uh, Saturday mornings, Global Television Network and the Sportsman Channel. Yes, sir. Uh, all premiering uh, each week at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or Central, whatever mm-hmm. whatever uh, that happens to be. And if you and if you want to see the little that Ange and I have done on muskies, although we've got some big-ass muskies on the Fish in Canada show. Thank you. Thank our, you. Uh, Thank you. Our YouTube yes. channel has uh, some great muskie episodes on it as well. So uh, yeah, Fish Jordan, in Canada on YouTube. Jordan uh, evidently just woke up. He just realized we were doing a podcast. Well, so he, he said, usually, oh, i got a button to push here. He's usually awake for the first five or ten, I oh, think, isn't he? Right. I don't know about that. Guests might put him to sleep because Jordan's not much of a fisherman. So maybe these uh, angling guests, you know, maybe he needs a, who would he need? Maybe if we interview Putin, do you think he'd stay uh, stay awake for that? Popovich. Putin, Popovich. Hey, they have some. Popovich. Putinovich. 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 Putin's a son of a bitch. Some connections there. I don't know. Um... Yeah. So anyways, the global, and, and of course in West, uh, Western Canada, that is 10 a.m., not uh, yes, 8 a.m. Yep. And they like us out West, eh, Ange? Oh, my God. They do like us. Oh, no kidding. I like that. I like them. And too. what's there not to like? Let's be honest about it. Well. You know, let's reflect on it for just a moment. What is what would there not be fishing and 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 in Canada? That's all I had. Two dudes fishing in Canada. What is there not to like about that? And clubbing the odd time. We don't club on the. I should do. I do. Should do a clubber show, shouldn't I? (laughs) (laughs) An episode. Okay, I let Pete out for the week, and look what happened. Boom, mayhem. (laughs) Uh, And also, uh, don't forget fishingcanada.com, which is the sister. Uh, property of Fishing Canada show. Correct. Because it, uh, fishingcanada.com will be for sure, can be, should be, uh, the gateway to your next fishing adventure. Yes, Just yes, go there, check yes. it all out. and, uh, and Including those uh, musky episodes I said that were on YouTube. They're also on fishingcanada.com as well. The each, uh-huh. each and uh, or, you know what I mean? So And uh, giveaways. Did I mention the, the freebies that are on that site? How about no. we give away a, a meal, a, a pack of musky meat? There you go. How's that for a giveaway? Huh. Not in this episode. <laughs> no, 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 two guys we got coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of goodies on fishingcanada.com for sure. So it's, uh, you know what, the uh, our our uh, subscriber base, what do you call it with our website? Is it subscriber base? Or, uh, anyways, they, they, love the, they love the shot at getting a, a gift or two, a freebie or two, right? So Yes, sir. Yeah. That would be wonderful. Thanks for listening to me, buddy. Okay, now, back to the program. (laughs) In the news, uh, and directly uh, uh, connected to the the subject matter today, which is musky, uh, I see there's uh, gobies are linked to decline in St. Lawrence musky population. Well, okay, first of all, I don't know who's saying that there's a decline in the St. Lawrence musky population, but... Whoever it is, obviously, well, no stuff that we don't. St. Lawrence is a big ass river, Mister Viola, and you—I don't know That's if you've right. ever That's fished right. the the Wolf Island to uh, Brockville area for muskie or not, because that could be totally different. I've I've heard that it's much harder nowadays to get up towards the mouth, uh, the, the, the mouth. head, the head of the river, which would be Lake Ontario side. Um, it's much more difficult in the Gananoque area and that the, than it used to be of 30 and 40 years ago. So uh, you and I are talking about down from the Cornwall Dam and the Lake St. Francis. That's a different story, right? There's a bunch of muskies there. So maybe it's a, I, I don't know if there's a... 
Well, there's less pressure there for sure. Evidently, somebody says there is because we got a whole news right. article here that is connected to that and that notion and, that musky population is yes. in peril. And this news article will include those muskies that we were fished for on on uh, obviously Lake Saint Pierre or Lake Saint Lake Saint Francis. Because the gobies are ridiculously strong in there as well. Absolutely. Right. right. Absolutely. And the problem with that is unlike uh, a bass and sunfish that guard their fry, their nest and their fry, mm-hmm. muskie don't. That's uh, right. Once they, they dump. The, most fish don't, correct? Yeah, Am I not I th- correct in that? I think most I of them, think, the freshwater game fish, yeah, you're probably they right. drop them and leave them, Walleye, I think. Just drop, drop them, leave them. And leave. They don't Musky guard. drop and leaves. Pike drops and yeah. leaves. Trout, uh, rainbows. Trout drops and leaves. Yeah. yeah, really, really. It's panfish. Sun, the sunfish family. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Bluegills on the beds. You yeah. see all those little craters yeah. and all that? Yeah. Sunfish and bass, yeah. large and small bass, which are in the sunfish family. Yeah, so they all kind of hang. They're those, the ones that guard. So. Round, short, fat fish. Tend Something like to, myself. Tend to uh, guard. I'm guard. And the long and lean uh, fish tend wow. to move. And which creates an obvious problem. And these musk. Think about this: the the is predator. Did I make it? Did I just make a, a a wonderful observation? There? You did. And you just blew by it like it was nothing. Well, and you said it. There's people know. spend their entire lives. Biologists okay. will spend their entire the, lives the only coming way, up with with theories like that, and they get accolades. And, you just move on to the next thing. You said wow. it. Everybody can hear about this now. What do you need to be uh, me to stand on my head and spit wooden nickels when you say you that? S- kind of shit? You should be saying, Mr. Viola. I'm very impressed with your observations. Uh huh. Thank you, Mr. Viola. I'm very impressed with your uh, self uh, loving. Self-lovingness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good observation. Yep, it there is. There I am standing on my toes. Yeah, getting into one. <laughs> Leaning into one. <laughs> oh, God. So, anyways, no. going so, back to what I was... Well, what I, I really interrupted Angelo's greatness yeah. in there, and I don't, I apologize to Thank that because it was a great, a great observation. Thank you. Um, even a fish as mighty as the muskie, our king of freshwater fish in in the Canada, let's say, or, or the North apex America, predator, sure, apex predator as well. Once they leave those little eggs and those little fry, they become the prey of all prey. You know what I mean? A gobe, any goby that's bigger than these eggs or these little wee tiny fry are going to get eaten up. So they are uh, very vulnerable at a young age because mom and pop. Whoosh, leave the nest. You imagine if mom and pop did not leave the nest oh, in the case of muskie. Just imagine those gobies just looking at those big oh. ominous creatures with those faces oh. like Papa Muskie, if it's the male bass guards, right? So if it was a Papa Muskie that stayed there, yeah, he's a little smaller than a female, but he's still a 42, 43 inch oh, with all those boy. teeth. And he's just saying, piss off gobies. <laughs> Try me. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't intimidate them. But, um, the good thing is that, um, thousand islands, biology, biological field station have taken eggs, uh, from these uh, St. Lawrence muskies and raised them at a, at a hatchery. And they have put a total of 6,000 fingerling muskies, uh, released into the river at 50 spawning areas in 2017 and 2019. Um, so these are advanced fry. So these fish are now bigger than what the gobies can beat up on. So they're, they're working towards, you know, getting the numbers back, which is a great thing. I think this, this is where fisheries money, licensed monies, et cetera, need to be spent on stuff like this, in my opinion. This yeah, is but great. We're busy with the other species. Well, yeah, you have to be we're busy with other species. With their money. What do you mean? Okay. Other fish species? Yeah. 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 Okay. That's okay. Spread the nation as long as it's not all I'm on that one. Spe- I know that species you're talking about. As long as it's not all spent on that one species, 
Let's put a little bit to musky. Hey, God forbid we put a little bit to bass. You know what I mean? Let's no put way. some money into bass because no there's way. rarely spent because they they do well them everywhere. Right now, this is good. I like this. You know what I mean? Thirty eight thousand advanced fry, averaging about an inch in length, were stocked. So that's that's a lot of fry. I, I I'm impressed. Rolls. I had no idea that uh, that there would be that kind of uh, uh, help uh, for musky. And, and and you know what? It's all based on. Let's base it on uh, fishing slash tourism to the past world's number one musky fishery, which was the St. Lawrence River. I don't know if it is anymore or not. You know what I mean? It was the number one. When you talked about it, world records, et cetera, et cetera, numbers, whatever, St. Lawrence River always came up. You know what I mean? 50, I, 60 pounders. I well. mean, with my limited experience musky fishing on the St. Lawrence, I, I think it's one of the best musky <laughs> fisheries on the planet. You, you and I think so for sure. I don't know about anybody else, but ooh. it's uh, yeah. If you, but again, we were with a seasoned guide that knows that water intimately and knows a trick or two about how to get them too. Right. So mm-hmm. anyways, I think it's great. Uh, they're doing their thing to get these muskies back. Muskies, and, and, and because muskies are such, it, it's a special creature, let's be honest. It is a special creature. There's you know, no I, doubt about I, it. I think everybody, to a person, will remember their very first muskie caught. Yep. They'll remember everything about it. Yep. Where, how, when, mm-hmm. size, the Absolutely. color, yep. the, the, the weather, yeah. the time of day. I mean, yeah. everything about that catch. And not just is, that, Ange. Like, here's an example. My, my wife, Lisa Bowman, who... She's a welder, right? She's a welder. welder. Yeah. You saw her up on the scaffold the other day. Yeah. Uh, she, she doesn't really care about fishing too much, right? But her goal in fishing was to catch a muskie. And we went out and got her one. And, and and until that, like she didn't care about anything else. She didn't care about a 10-pound walleye. She didn't care about all that. The bass. Oh, my God. I hate bass fishing and all that. Can you get me a muskie? And you know what I mean? So I think a lot of people are like that. You know what I mean? So it's just a, it's got a mystique about it. The elusive muskie, because it's not the easiest to exactly. catch, obviously. And, 10, because not, and because there's not that many of them. Right. That's why. Thank right. God that there's not that many. But it's also them. the apex predator thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of the whole part, uh, part and parcel. Uh, I, I'd love to catch a great white shark just because he's the badass of the ocean. You exactly. know what I mean? So it's kind of cool. Exactly. All right. Anyways, I think we've done a good job okay. on, on the opening of thank the, you for this everybody. Podcast. Thank you for everybody that's working towards What's the, uh, today's question? Today's question is, do you guys think scented baits make a difference? Any preferences? From Curtis Hodgson via email. And by the way, anyone wants to send a question, info at fishingcanada.com uh, or Facebook or Instagram. You just shoot us a question. If we uh, deem it a uh, beauty, we will put it on the, on the podcast. If we deem it a beauty. Yeah. If oh. it's not a beauty, if it, or if it's redundant, I mean, it's been asked five or five times, we'll, we'll ask the best one of those. You know. Look at you, eh? So, Angelo, do you uh, think that scented baits make a difference? Any preferences? I know your answer to this. I think I know your answer to this. But. Well, uh, first of all, let me start off by saying that I think, yes, in general, as a, as a general answer, I, I would say yes, undoubtedly scented baits do outperform non-scented baits. I will tell you that much. However, not all scents are created equal. I will also tell you that. Mm-hmm. There are scents that seem to work better than others that uh, trigger a different uh, part of the fish's brain. 
And those are the ones to key in on. How do you you know the difference? How do you? Well, you know, unfortunately, unless you're a scientist or unless you've got nothing but time on your hands to experiment, you're going to have to read up on it. You're going to have to take people's words on it. You're going to have to trust anglers in the know. You're going to have to do some research. One thing I had heard uh, is that if it's an oil-based scent, it will not work. Fish cannot sense and smell an oil-based scent. I did it not know that. It has to be water-based. I did hear that. See, I did not know that. So if you were ever looking in the ingredients and it says oil-based, then don't even buy it. If it says, if it's water-based, then you can buy it. I, I, I'm, that's, I've just heard that. I don't know. I've never had it proven or you know tried one against the other. What is that, the oil versus water? I don't I don't that. know. It's just a matter that the fish can smell one and they can't smell the other by it being oil-based. So that's what I've heard. Oil-based. So that would mean, see, to me, an oil-based scent means that when it makes contact with water, it would leave a film. It would leave some sort of visual evidence that it's there, or it, or whereas it water would not. Or it doesn't dissipate at all. Maybe it's stuck and it just can't dissipate in the water or something like that. But look into that more, maybe. I mean, I'll tell you one thing that I will tell you about scents, too, and I, I, I'm i a big believer in... in um, using scents for different reason than what the norm would be. And for smelling, right? Well, scents are, 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 I guess, designed to attract fish. Do you wear deodorant to stop your stink or to smell good? Stop your perspiration or any perspiration, to stop your perspiration or to smell good? Ah, ah, but not, uh, ah. there's deodorant and there's I know, that's why I said antiperspirant. That's why I went to that. Antiperspirant would be to stop you from perspiring but it in smells your good. clothing. But it smells good though, too. So maybe you just put it on new one. But it gets you. What did you just say? You just dropped you the been, F-bomb. I love it. sniffing me when you, I'm not looking? Well, wow. I, I've wondered about, I mean, this, this beautiful aroma, trailing aroma that you leave when you walk through a room. Exactly. Uh, b- before you fart. You've been sniffing. After you fart, then it ruins everything. Is there a crack deodorant for what you? I, what I was about to say, <laughs> once again, I was about to uh, unleash some brilliance and you you just glossed over it, you know. But I was going to say that most <laughs> of us would use would use, would use use uh, scent to attract fish. Yes. My reason for using scent uh, here we go. I like is that. to mask. Mask the human odor. My odors. Scent sweat. Human sweat. Ooh, Nasty. My. Apparently fishies don't like human sweat, the smell of human sweat. So that's, that's a great correct. observation, Mr. Viola. That's, that's why I always tell my dad. I always thought that he stunk ass bad. You know what I mean? Dad, there's something wrong. You're catching, you're not catching fish when everybody else is or something like that. We got to scent your bait up. We got to do something with your hands. We got to do something. Yeah. We used to think that. I think totally there's certain rewarding. people that, that put off more of an offensive uh, yeah. odor than, than yeah. others. Right. Yeah, and yeah. that's why scent becomes important. You know what I used to, and I don't anymore. And I wish I could find it and start using it. I used to, it was religion with me. I know what you're going to say. At the start of every single fishing day, I used oh. to wash my hands yep. with this special uh, biodegradable soap. We'll call mm-hmm. it soap. I remember that stuff. Remember? Berkeley used to make one. Exactly. Yep. And it was it was designed to to eliminate and or mask any human yep. odors on your hands. Yep. And it was like religion. The first thing I would do as we started a fishing day, I would wash my hands. And, and you caught fish day, afterwards, right? Yeah. And yeah. throughout the day I would I would I would uh, do it again. Yeah. You touch your baits and all it didn't yeah. it didn't scare the fish away, no. obviously. You caught no. fish. Yeah. I used to so, do the same thing. But you can't find it anymore. No, I don't I don't know what happened to that stuff. But that that's that's what I would use. If I had a preference 
between uh, using a scent to attract fish or a scent to mask me. I would much rather use. You know what? This, there's a whole podcast here on this. We could do the the, the fishing scent thing and do a, probably get get a nice hour out of that if we oh. wanted to. We could really rip into it because I believe in scent too, but I'm such a hypocrite that unless it's infused in the bait, I rarely put it on anymore. You know, like mm. Mega Strike. We you, you and I have, uh, with Bobby that we've talked with Mega Strike and went through the whole yeah. uh, and, and love the stuff and it works yeah. when we put it on. You forget to put it forget on. To put it on because it's just like, uh, are you dumb dumb? Yeah, me dumb dumb. It's. Uh, it's amazing. Now, some baits like power baits, Berkeley power baits and gulp, they're built in. And I do believe those things. Well, I'm going to give you one in here. This is a good one. Power baits. Berkeley power baits. When a mouse, okay, mice get in my garage, they eat the power baits and nothing else. No kidding. I swear to God. So I'm not comparing mice to fish, but I'm telling you, these things are eating. They went through a couple of bags of power baits, empty. And all the other stuff there, Yamamoto, uh, everybody else, not touched. Friggin' mice eat it. So if mice eat it, there's something edible or smellable or something in there. Wow. Hey, That's worth a, oh my. Oh my. Oh my. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so there's something to these scented baits and all that stuff. And like Anson, there's a new one coming out too. Um, it's called Bait Fuel. That's a new one coming out, and this seems to be taking over the the U.S. market quite quickly. So it'll be an interesting to see if that one. Uh, it's a water based one, apparently, and it's supposed to be the next thing for scent. Adding wow. scent. But, I was going to say, I, I, we, 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 you and I have gone through our ups and downs with scent and mm-hmm. our different we need experiments to get back on and it. and whatnot. One time we were into marinating our baits. Oh my God! Remember with, that with the uh, natural scent. Yeah, uh, we would grind up earthworms and or minnows <laughs> and put them in that or little anything. We'd grind it all up and then we'd put it in a. Um, uh, 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 a contraption that is, is designed. It's a vacuum seal kind of thing that's designed to uh, infuse whatever it is you're marinating, infuse that into the meat or whatever it is that you're marinating because it draws, it sucks the, the product the into the yeah. meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we used to grind up, uh, yeah, uh, that's uh, right. We minnows did and, and, and crayfish and, and worms right. and, and let, let this thing, suck all that the juices into our baits i mean that's another good one probably problem is we forgot it one day and it smelled like hell oh, you don't open want, up and oh, oh my oh my is right oh, god it stank oh. anyways um yeah there you go curtis uh, like pete said we'll i think we're gonna do a whole podcast on yeah i think that's and, a great and various reasons to use it and for various sure sense, et cetera. for sure uh i hope that uh, you are listening uh, curtis Hudson, wherever you may be, and anybody else out there that has a question similar or even not even close to being similar to Chris's, Curtis's, uh, please uh, check it out at or let us know at info at fishingcanada.com. That's info at fishingcanada.com. Uh-huh. Beautiful. All right. Let's get on to the show. My that was God. a pretty good, fun little Come intro, though, now. buddy. You know, you know what? If we're going hard like that, it means it's probably interesting. I don't know. I mean, it is to us, anyways. You're making fun of my scent. I don't know. No, I said that. you smell good until you fart. Oh. All you know right. I mean? All right. I'll take it. It's that. like the, would you like to dance? <laughs> In <know>? those pants. <laughs> Uh, segment one guest is no stranger to the show. We've had him on the, uh, the radio program yes, a few times. They're uh, involved with uh, our uh, website. Um, the the company's called Ug- Ugly Pike Podcast. And one of the hosts of that wonderful program uh, joins us now. His name is uh, Frank Ungaro. 
and uh, he is a co-host of Ugly Pike Podcast, but an absolutely insane musky fanatic here in Southern Ontario. Frank, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, guys. Yes, musky addict, podcaster, <laughs> right guard wearer. There you go. Non- team. team- Non-aluminum, non-aluminum, I hope, with no aluminum. Well, I, I don't know. I, I haven't read the ingredients since <laughs> they gave us cell phones and we didn't have to read bottle ingredients on the toilet. Exactly. Uh, so that, that stopped after, I think, 1999. So, But, uh, you know, I like to roll the dice. I'm a risk taker. So. boy. <laughs> <laughs> right, right off the hop, that name is so cool. You're a musky, you're a musky group. But you called yourself the Ugly Pike Podcast. Ugly Pike. Where did Ugly Pike come from? It's such a cool name. Well, I mean, I mean, the genesis of the name, right, is um, it's a derivative of the Ojibwe word for muscalunge, which is, you know, mascalunge, uh, elongated face, and also called Ugly Pike, loosely translated over. So we wanted to make that connection. And um, I know we might talk about this later, but I actually had an idea for – I wanted to do a um, – um, a, a microbrewery that was a fishing lodge theme. So I had this project I was working on. I didn't end up doing it, but that was the concept for that project. And then years later, when uh, my partner with the podcast, Chris, Chris approached me to do a media project, I said, I've got everything. I've got everything done, the branding, the name, let's use that for this and let's, let's hit the road. And, and uh, that's how it all started. And that was the origin of the name, which, uh, we love, yeah. I uh, love that. Pretty cool. It's great name. Yeah. Now, now that I know what it is, I love it even, it's even more. Better. It's even better. Yeah. Do you yeah, think? So, do you hmm. think it stopped you from? Does it stop you from getting musky uh, addicts to go? Because I think in Pike, as soon as they see Pike, they don't even listen to it. Do you think it's a negative? You know what, Pete? It's it's. Uh, you know, we talked about that before, and um, I, maybe at first, but I think we're so like this is not a huge community, so I think we're pretty much ingrained in the community now. But I think it's turned into a plus because there's a lot of pike fishermen out there that maybe are turned on to our brand. And maybe when they realize, you know, they give us a chance, they like the content, you know, maybe they get intrigued about musky fishing and maybe that's helping us now. So I think the answer is that first I could completely see that as an, an ambiguous uh, negative, but um, we can't argue with the success we've had. Um, we've got a, we're hitting, we're almost going to hit, 200,000 downloads here. Um, we have, you know, amazing um, connections and friendships and partnerships with folks like you guys. And um, so, I mean, this was just a project that really was meant for us to enrich our own knowledge uh, about musky fishing. And it turned into something. So Chris and I couldn't be happier right now. Do you know, I, really I just, as you were saying all those wonderful things, I I, I just had this, this, Made this observation. Must be my special day today. Today, everything's you're, Oh, you're special, all right. Uh, thank There's you, no Mr. Doubt about I appreciate it. that. No doubt about um, it. Isn't it funny how you've got two creatures that look... Frank and Chris? Well, that too. <laughs> Very nicely done. Uh, that look so similar and yet are so miles apart in behavior and... And uh, yeah. everything about them. There is nothing, nothing about those two fish. And I'm talking pike versus musky now. Nothing about those two fish that you would say, hmm, yeah, they have that in common. Other than the profile, there's nothing that they have in common. And yet they're often mistaken for each other. I mean, a, a lot of times people will m- misidentify a musky for a pike and a pike for a musky. Mm-hmm. But yet they're two. And they even, totally- they even breed with each other. 
They even a tiger breed. Musky. Exactly. You know but I mean? yet so different. So completely different. Just, hmm. uh, no, I was just, uh, I wanted to share well, that I, with you. Angela, I think that's a really good observation because, um, you know, pikes are the biggest freshwater jerks we have in Ontario. And maybe, maybe, maybe the, maybe the fish are saying the same thing about us because when we catch a pike, it's like, ah, man, ah, a lousy pike. We catch a muskie. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. So, so maybe they're saying the same, same things about us. Well, uh, you know what? Yeah. They, they, hey, I got an Angelo right on. Oh, I got a Bowman. I got a Pete Bowman. Are you kidding me? Throw that little thing back. There's no good. I can't believe, yeah. I can't believe this guy caught me. What a no appreciation whatsoever. Now, now, I'm going to argue the point, or both you guys just said, though, because in my mind, a really large pike is every bit as satisfactory as a big muskie to me. Oh, I'm I not mean, suggesting it's not. And they're, and they're very similar because once these little pike, and that, once they get into this 15, 20, and 25-pound-plus range, these big pike, they start to act similar to muskie. They become mm. more of an individual fish. They, come, they roam the open waters looking for, for suckers or smelt or cisco or something like that. So they start to build up that kind of muskie uh, movement or, or daily habit, I think, and myself. So I disagree. I disagree. Why is that? Okay. Totally disagree. I think that pike will tend to be more of a pack uh, relating creature and muskie definitely does not enjoy the company of anything, including itself. You think those big 25, 30 and 40 pounders are hanging out in big packs? Well, we we certainly found a huge pack of them more than one time uh, at more than one occasion and both shallow and deep. We have run into those big 20 and 25s that were shoulder to shoulder. Okay. How many times have we done that? Well, I remember uh, Saskatchewan. Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Knee Lake, Knee Lake. Yeah, that's a spawning. Ah, It doesn't matter. I just said they're hanging out together. You won't see that happening in the muskie world. It just does not happen. They can't stand themselves, let alone others. (laughs) I'm serious. Whereas muskie... Or uh, whereas pike, they they they're almost social. You know, there's times in their uh, cycle where where they kind of enjoy their each times. other's company. Okay, yeah, I'll agree muskie with you on does times. Not. On there's times. no question about. It. And the other thing, you don't think muskies get in a, if there's a perfect bay that there were no. more than five pairs of muskies going into a bay? Does well, ten pairs of muskies to go in the spawn or whatever? Well, I'm a, I'll ask you. How many times have you seen? it? I know in pike, I've seen it numerous times. Right. Muskie, I've never seen it. Well, like you, number one, you can't fish for muskie that early as versus pike. You know, when pike or when pike opens up north, let's say, and, you know, can be close to ice out and in the, in the spawning, boom, the spawning bay is full of fish. I get that. I've never had the, the opportunity to, to try for muskies that early. And in that sense, um, you know, a body of water, maybe that would, it would harbor that many fish in a bay or something like that. So I'm just, I, I agree that there wouldn't be a bay full of them like pike in that sense. And that's it. But once that summer it, uh, hits in, I think there's a change, a big change for the big fish. Well, we'll find out if Frank doesn't know, we'll find out later on. Uh, Frank the, already agreed with me. So no, Frank, you, you were, you were forcing him to agree with you. I think Frank was being misled. <laughs> Frank, did you, well, Hey Frank, I, go ahead. I think at the very least we can all agree that the big ones are, are as fun to catch. There's no doubt. Um, I mean, I think we're, we're entering into sort of ugly pike podcast territory here where our, it's our mission to try and figure out some sort of pattern to this fish and right. and great, great anglers like yourselves have you know made themselves mad trying to make a list of musky rules <laughs> that we all know that they love nothing more than breaking and driving us crazy so, so it true. might be a bit of a fool's errand you know yeah so true the only thing i know mm-hmm. for sure about musky is that nothing is for sure 
That That's is right. for you. You, you never is, know. And how many times, in fact, uh, current sure. records, uh, most of them are held by people who weren't even fishing. For musky, mm, that O'Brien fish, right? Exactly, and yeah. and that's why I say, you know, yeah. one thing's for sure, and that is nothing's for sure. You 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 can hunt them down all you want, if if the stars aren't aligned and the planets and all that stuff, it ain't gonna happen. And and on the other side of that coin, you could just be out, you know, trolling for walleye with with a little tiny insignificant morsel on the end of your line, and all yeah. of a sudden you got you know this magnificent creature that's chasing it down for for no apparent reason, by the way. You know what yeah. I mean? When you when you think about that, Frank, right? You look at a you look at a, a I don't know a a, a forty incher or forty five or as it closes in on fifty. What possible reason would it want to waste any energy on a four or, or even a five or six inch you know uh, body bait? Like what what would be the purpose yeah. of that? Right? Um, if you ask me, it's just convenient. It's either one of two things: it's convenience or annoyance. And I think when you see those incidents happening. You've got a lucky angler who brought their bait within an inch of the nose uh, of a muskie that was sitting on the bottom, and that's probably what's happening. And that muskie either saw a convenient meal, no matter how small, or was so you know irked by the fact that his or her space was being invaded that he just you know these fish will strike out of anger, right? So um, that's probably it. I, I think you're right, Angelo. I don't think any self-respecting muskie is going to chase or pursue no. a tiny bait, but I think it's a convenience question, right? Proximity. It's, it's, so. it's, and the other thing I observation in as much as muskie, we say muskie are weird and muskie are different and muskie are this and that. The people who pursue muskie, like in a serious, like I'm talking, not, 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 like I'm talking serious muskie. I'm gonna, like yourself, Frank. And I don't mean with all due respect, they're a little off-center They're as a well, different breed. Right? There's no <laughs> doubt about it. You know what I mean? They are de- oh, the most dedicated, most hardcore, most uh, oh. uh, focused. Uh, yeah. They're, they're you look into those <laughs> eyes, and, and I'm not talking to fishes. I'm not talking to fishes' eyes, by the way. I'm not talking to those musky eyes. I'm talking uh, musky angry. You look into those eyes, and, and you, you say to yourself, my God. Like, where are you right now? You know what I no, mean? No, I think it's, it's entirely true because – like fishing, the great Canadian pastime, right, is about relaxing and enjoying yourself and quality time and, and birds chirping and all that sort of stuff. And musky, musky fishing is none of that. It's no. not relaxing. <laughs> so we don't give a shit what the birds, excuse me, we don't, <laughs> no. care, we don't care what the birds are doing, uh, right? We good. don't, we, it, we're not relaxed. There's nothing really fun about it until we do get that fish. So, but I, I think when we look and we peel the layers away, I think musky anglers are goal setters. I think they're overachievers. I think they're people who love to test themselves. And so we find our enjoyment that others might find in putting their feet up and, um, you know, putting a bobber on their line or, 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 or drop shotting. I love doing those things. Don't get me wrong. But the sense of accomplishment when you do get that musky on, um, it's a team effort when the boat erupts when the adult men are hugging and jumping around like schoolgirls, <laughs> ah, um, so that is how I think we realize the pleasure that other anglers get from the toned down aspects of fishing for other species. So definitely different types of anglers, but I think for different reasons. And, um, you know, I think we've all come to terms with the torture that we put ourselves through. Oh, no doubt. I, I always equate, 
Uh, hardcore musky guys, uh, it's kind of like uh, looking at a, a trophy hunter, like an elk hunter or a caribou hunter mm. or something like that. They don't, they'll pass up so many animals to get that right animal to the point of they might spend 10 grand on a, on a trip and not even shoot one. They are, they shoot one at the end for meat, but they're looking really for that ultimate trophy and they're willing to put a hardcore time and effort into, into getting that one. And that's what musky guys are kind of like. And we go, when we travel up way up in Northwestern Ontario, so we'll go to Eagle Lake or something like that. And, um, Lake of the woods, anywhere like that, where there's a real prominent, um, musky fraternity up there. And you'll get these guys from the U S that are coming up and they're diehard musky guys. And, it's all they talk about. They talk about the minors, the majors, this, that, and the other, like that. They're just so hardcore into the musky thing. They don't want to hear about walleye. The smallmouth, what are you talking about? They do pike, no way. They are so into that game, uh, and they're so good at the game. And they, you can see the money and time and effort that they put into it. It's just it's freaky. Keith, I think there's two. There's another level to this. When you get into, like, the established lifelong anglers, um, I fish with some guys that don't even want to catch anything under 49 inches right. and you know, they'll have it in the, in the, we'll have it in the, in the net and they'll just gill it, bring it over the edge of the net and put it in the water, not taking the fish out. Of course, that's good stewardship too. Um, but you know, uh, like a friend of mine says that I fish with, he goes, I'm not after fish. I'm after the fish. Mm-hmm. And so everything changes when you're after the fish, when you're after the mid to to high 50 inch fish, um, the world record, that is, that is a whole nother thing in and of itself. And it, Mm -hmm. it gets, it's a crazy kind of looking glass because I I remember when I, when I started fishing with some of these hardcore guys and they're like, yeah, I'm not interested in the 45. And I'm like, I, I give my left, you know, index finger right now. (laughs) You're you're going to say not, weren't you? (laughs) No, I wasn't. No, uh, I'm, I'm a I'm a southpaw, so that, that has particular relevance. Okay. But I mean, you know, and uh, so it's on my choking hand. My left hand is my driving hand <laughs> in jujitsu, so I need. It. But um, you know, it, it's it's um, it was uh, unthinkable to me to say, "Oh, mid forties fish." Are you kidding me? They're they're amazing, you know. But now, even over the years, I'm like, yeah, we're going we're going for it all. We we have goals to set, and you know, like other musky anglers, we're we're here to achieve our goals and and uh and and knock it out and um and that's that's how this evolves for a lot of us and, and it's hmm. not a fishery for the masses let's be oh, honest about boy. it you know and, and thankfully well thankfully it's not but it's not it it is uh, definitely uh, it does take a certain individual to become an avid musky angler it's not mm-hmm. a, a part-time pursuit first of all i think anybody that calls themselves a a, a musky angler and does not fish muskies either either full-time or certainly the majority of the time on the water, then is lying to themselves. They're not really a musky angler. Right. And therefore, right. it eliminates a lot of people right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree Which that. is probably a good thing because it is such a, um, unlike most other game fish that we chase down that, that are prolific spawners and, and have, you know, tremendous results every spawning season on uh, – replacing itself musky not so much it's not a really good spawner there's not a lot of success i i had some numbers that i read about three or four years ago and i was astounded at how low the percentage of really, eh? success from musky spawn is it's it's you almost look at it and you say you got better odds in vegas 
to wow. survive. And that's an all round, like all, let's yeah, say Canada, yeah. North to South. It was, uh, it was a Canadian study. I mm-hmm. think it was a, a DFO study, not even MNR. Yeah. But, um, and, and I don't know what the sample size was, but you have to believe that if there's science involved, that they have some credibility. Uh, but it was like in the single digits. It was so, wow. it was terrible. Hmm. And so, and so it's a good thing that it's not pursued by the masses. It's a good thing that it's known as the fish of 10,000 casts. It's a good thing that it generally, uh, doesn't hang out where anglers hang out. It's, you know, all those things are a good thing hmm. because otherwise it probably wouldn't exist today. We would have, you know, done it in years ago. You know, so. here, here's a point about musky anglers for people listening that don't really know much about musky, haven't heard much about musky. Musky anglers are the only group uh, of people that I know of that are like 98% satisfied with their day if they've seen three fish yeah. or four fish. We yeah. saw, we had to, oh, we saw a 55 yeah. inch of the boat. Oh my God, that was so cool. They're happy with that. Where you're a bass fisherman, if you see a four pounder swim away from your bait, you are so pissed off. The, you know what I mean? It's the like, only, not, you don't, and you don't tell anybody about it because you're embarrassed because you couldn't catch them or something like that. I know that, you're you going to take this the wrong way, Pete, but the only other angler that is similar to that, to a musk angler in that, you know, their expectations are set so low right from the get go that anything is about us is the Atlantic salmon angler. And I, I'm talking about down east. I'm talking right. about uh, Atlantic salmon in, in even Newfoundland. Right. I remember one time I was there shooting a Fish in Canada episode years ago, and um, uh, one of the guides that we were supposed to be with was, well, I'll be quite frankly, he couldn't make it because he was all hung over uh, <laughs> in, in the morning. <laughs> But but the reason he was hung over, I talked to his wife because he wasn't able to talk to me. The reason he was hung over oh, is the day before him and his buddies were out fishing a a, a pool um, that they fished all the time, and they saw a fish. <laughs> he got I drunk. I swear to God, they saw a fish there. They hadn't seen one in years oh, in that God. particular pool. They saw one and they partied the whole night. <laughs> Unbelievable. I'm not, I'm not saying you guys, musky anglers, are that bad, but you're pretty damn close. Let's be honest oh, about uh, it. We're definitely that bad. I, I have a buddy that I fish with uh, on the Niagara. We've had three lukewarm seasons in a row, maybe one or two small fish. And uh, last season, we fi- he finally caught a beautiful big fish and uh, immediately put his head over the side of the boat and vomited for the next five minutes. <laughs> no I mean, way! Are you well, kidding th- th- me? Angelo, this was his, this was his, oh his, adre- this was his adrenaline dump. Oh, you know what I said? my God. That's my, my buddy Pete, I said, I said, Pete, are you okay? He goes, he wipes his mouth. He's like, I'm great. You know, <laughs> he was so overcome oh with uh, adrenaline from, wow. you know, three years of just grinding to like this moment of, of ultimate victory for us. And, you know, Angela, you were talking before about, um, you know, uh, just kind of the sadistic part of musk angling and, and, and kids and this, this and that. But like, I think like you want kids to, to go bass fishing, walleye fishing to find some success, but when they're old enough, you want them to try to fish for musky. And I'll tell you why. Good point. Um, you know, you want these kids to be able to a problem solve, b have a positive relationship with failure. And I teach my kids in jujitsu. I own a jujitsu school in, in Niagara Falls, and I teach them to have a positive relationship with failure. In jujitsu, you're always getting submitted, you're always losing, and in musky fishing, you're always losing, and it causes you to constantly look at the reasons why you may have failed: atmosphere conditions, timing, time of day, bait selection, depth, speed, and really keep an a log of 
what you've been doing so that you can turn those failures into victories. And I think those are important lessons for, for young anglers and for kids in general. So um, I think on its face, we joke about musk angling and, and how uh, nuts we are. But when you start to peel the layers away, um, I think there's a certain type of person that fishes for this fish. And there's a reason. I think people like that understand the value of, of challenging yourself and testing yourself. You know, uh, and, 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 and like I said, the positive relationship with failure, super important. With that in mind, then, have you noticed or have you even looked into, um, is there a certain type of human being that is attracted to musky fish? In other words, can we point to, I don't know, say a profession? Is there is there a profession that folks that musky fish have that that's in common? Is there an age? Mm, is good, it, is it an good. age thing? Is it a male, female? Like, is there anything that we can point to and say there is your prototypical musky anglers? He's his demo is this and this and this and that's it. If if you ask me, I think the answer is I'm not sure if we can pin it to a profession. Although when you look at Chris and myself. Um, I'm, I'm an instructor and a participant in the hardest martial art in the world. Um, I'm one of the highest ranked black belts in the country. This is an impossible goal I set for myself and an impossible task. Chris is a, um, a, a very, uh, high up, um, uh, architect and city planner, uh, overseas. He has a very important job with hundreds, if not thousands of people below him. I think these kinds of anglers are people who are achievers in life oh. and not people who are, are, are resigned to sitting on the couch and, um, you know, and, and banging out three seasons of some show on Netflix, you know, over two days and not leaving the couch. Although, you know, that can be fun. But what I'm trying to say is people that are resigned to just kind of coast in life. I don't think those are the musky anglers. The musky anglers are the guys who go after it. And I just, like you said, Angelo, if you're doing it part time, you're not really a musky angler, no. and I don't, I don't want to disparage anybody, but this is too hard to do to kind of half-ass it, right? Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Can you can you draw any that. parallels to, you know, the big thing right now uh, coming out of the pandemic is is the outdoors, in particular fishing, as it pertains to mental health. Does musky take that to another level, or 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 should we almost look at it as, as drives you freaking nuts? Exactly. <laughs> is it the opposite? Yeah, what do yeah. you think, Frank? Well, I mean, I think your sanctuary is your sanctuary. And quite frankly, these days, anything with, without a power switch, not that doesn't include an electronic uh, display on your boat that we all love and need, I, I think is a value to mental health. And um, when we started, when we actually started our, our, our beer project, a lot of the things we were doing was we were, this was all spurred, if, if you don't mind, it was all spurred by an episode we had. Um, we, we interviewed Julian Kalka, who's uh, owner of Andy Myers Lodge, the famed Andy Myers Lodge on, on Eagle Lake. And um, we were all lamenting, right? He's a lodge owner. I'm a gym owner. We were all crying in our soup in that episode. But we also came to the realization that what this pandemic was doing, when, especially when the ramps were closed, was we really ran a risk, a cultural risk. Because, you know, Pete and, and, and Angelo, we all know how amazing fishing is, that the people that fish and the character of an angler and the, the national fabric of Canada, you know, is sewn together with anglers and hunters. And when you close down opportunities to fish for a season, for two seasons, 
we really run the risk of entire generations not falling in love with this pastime. And I think that really nips away at our culture and our cultural identity. So I, as it relates to the pandemic, we saw this as um, really serious. And we were actually approached to do this beer project uh, by a master brewer um, who's, who that message resonated with him. He has a young boy. And um, we see it as uh, crucial to our our mental health, yes, of course, guys. Imagine if we couldn't fish. I mean, it's bad enough waiting for the season to start when you're a musky angler. I love – and, guys, I love walleye fishing. I grew up in, in Prince Edward County walleye fishing at uh, my cousin's cottage. But, um, yeah, integral to our – you know, and our wise mental health. Could you imagine if we didn't get out of the house and fish? I mean, half of us would be divorced. But, <laughs> That's so but, true. Like, but from a national fabric of Canadians and who we are. Right. Mm-hmm. We're anglers. Mm-hmm. We're proud anglers. We help each other. Um, this is a really important that uh, we don't uh, skip generations and expose them to this. It's really important to, to Canada and who we are as Canadians. That's, that's very well, well said. Put. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Because, you know, you hear the opposite. You hear the, the, the numbers are up with the empathy anglers because they're just taking it as, as a casual uh, passion or uh, something to do, right? But with the musky world, that uh, yeah, it could be totally detrimental. So that's a great point. But but I mean, I mean, even angling in general, Pete. I, yeah. In the con- in the context in the context, of course, of the pandemic, as Angelo suggested, and the, and the ramps being closed, and and the people not wanting to go outside. So that was kind of the context of what I was saying yep. there. Yep. Well, it's gotcha. bang on. Very it good is. observation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's take it to to another level. Do you think there's enough being done and enough time and money being spent on uh, the pursuit of muskie? Do you think, or are you happy as a muskie angler? Are you happy that it's not at the top of the uh, food shelf in terms of uh, popularity? Is it something that muskie anglers say, "Man, I wish more people would do this," or is it, or, or are you guys pretty much satisfied saying, "Yeah, well, let's stay under the radar because that's." fewer people we need to compete with out here on the water. Yeah. Uh, no, that's a really, actually a really interesting question. And again, I'm going to tie in a parallel with jujitsu. The attrition rate with Brazilian jujitsu is so high because it's mentally and physically extremely difficult. So a lot of people come in and try a class or they, maybe they join for a month or two, 80% of them are gone down the road uh, and in short order wow. because it's just too hard. It's hard, man. You know, life can be easy. Why take the hard road? So when, when I work a lot with Muskies Canada, a great organization. We are always trying to get young anglers to come into the sport. And um, we, for the virtues I suggested previously in our talk today, but also because, like, we want to keep the, the – we want to we wanna know who the next generation of, of innovators are, the thinkers on the water that are going to discover new techniques, the bait makers that are going to make new baits, the future lodge owners that are going to give our kids and grandkids the trip of their lifetime. The attrition rate in muskie fishing will weed out any potential for overpopulation on the water. It is just too damn hard. Mm. It's hard to throw those baits and <laughs> oh, pull them in God. eight, nine, ten hours a day. To get on the water, by the way, guys, in November and December, when those are the those are the giant weeks, the six weeks where the absolute giants are caught. Mm-hmm. Um, try being on the St. Lawrence River in an ice storm uh, on December fourteenth. I do it every year. I love it, but I got problems. <laughs> you got right? serious problems. <laughs> no, so much Every year we get pulled over by um, uh, by the the police, the RCMP on the water there, and they're like, they, they, right away they're like, you guys are smugglers, and then like. <laughs> 
you know, two seconds later, they look around our boat and then they kind of look in our eyes and they see like all that's going on in the boat and they just stand there and shake their heads at us. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. these guys are, these guys aren't smugglers. They're just sick in the head. Exactly. Right. Worse than so, amazing. Angelo, that is never going to have mass appeal. Ever. Yeah, and no, you're right. And like I said before, probably that's a good thing. Let's be honest yeah, about it. I, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'd like to see it pick up a little more, but um, you know, it's it's going to grow as it will. And and like I said, let's just hope that the the young kids that are growing up and realizing they want to go after more in life uh, are going to gravitate to musky fishing. And I think we're all okay with that. Do you ever go out to look at the opposite end? Do you ever go to a place like Lake St. Clair and say, holy shit, look at the musky guys out here in one spot. Is that, is that happening? Yeah, Chris and I have fish St. Clair. And I, I mean, I, I think St. Clair is a different, uh, a different type of musky angler in a different mood. Mm-hmm. And, um, when you want a musky, go to St. Clair. For sure. See when, when it, you want to hunt a musky, Go somewhere else. Yeah, to me, it's a wannabe musky angler. To me, honest, and Pete knows this. I've, I've, we've done shows. I haven't participated personally in them, but as a, as a company, we've done shows down there. I hate them. It, oh yeah, me, but that's to me. It's that's not, the old it's, school. That's the trolling boards. That's not the, no, no. The guys but, are doing. The guys are casting for them now, know, and they're really know, working but, but harder it's at it. Still not. As, yeah, it's as a number. Frank it's a just place. alluded to. It's not a hunt. It's not I agree. Hunt, right, and it's it's a totally different. But anyways, everybody has for, for the for the most, Angelo. I mean, for the most, you're right. But I mean, to me, I don't. I I I by definition don't want to go where other anglers are. I, I really like the Chris and I take a a trip every year up into into Sunset Country, and we hit Jewel mm. or Eagle or Lake of the Woods, and we like to get up in the middle of nowhere. And to me, you know, like we talked about earlier, the the escape. The sanctuary of fishing to me means uh, I'm not rubbing shoulders with other boats. And so for that and some other reasons, I don't prefer that lake. But you know what? If you want to go catch a muskie, it's a great place to go out and catch a muskie. If you want to get into muskie hunting and all the virtues that come along with it, then you're going to want to explore other lakes 100%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A few years ago, uh, we got drawn into um, um a pretty unique situation, certainly in this country anyways. Uh, and, and I'm sure you guys as well, uh, Frank, um, we got drawn into that whole East coast musky invasion and, and yeah. kill them all. And, and, and that whole yeah. business, man, we were, we were beside ourselves when we first heard of it to the point still going right now, by the it's way. still going on now to the point where we, we immediately packed our bags and, and went down and, and checked it out. We wanted to, we wanted to see this firsthand, uh, you know, to make sure that the information we were getting was accurate and sure as hell it was. Um, how did you guys uh, take that and what did you do? Yeah, it's, man, it's really, it's funny, Angelo, because you're, I'll never forget, you're the only guy, I asked you where you thought when we when we met, um, when we did the recording for Auto Journal Radio, um, I asked you where you thought the next record was going to come from. You actually said St. John River, yes. which was a really interesting uh, take on it, but um, we've had several anglers, uh, Matt Myers, Mar- Marlon Prince is a great uh, yes. guide out there uh, on our program. And, you know, it's really frustrating for those guys because, and I think for a lot of people who get it up there, um, because they have a burgeoning in tourism industry destination waiting for them. You know, mm. musky anglers spend money. 
that's another thing about musk english we have disposable income and we spend it mm-hmm. you know don't mm-hmm. tell our wives but man do we ever spend it mm-hmm. and so i think any given musk angler would love to put st john river on his or her um annual trip or, or trip of a lifetime list because those fish are giant footballs right oh, so yeah. fat and they're amazing yeah. and it's just a whole different musky fishing experience in a positive way and to think that there's an entire group of people there that are like muskies bad. Um, they're really taking food off of people's tables. And I, I, I Minnesota went through the same thing, Angelo, um, about 40, uh, four years ago, they had a bill called SF 3319. And it was really designed to decimate muskie populations. Uh, you could keep a muskie if it was like, I think 43 inches, something stupid. Um, you know, up North, uh, by contrast, it has to be 54 inches or higher for you to keep a muskie. So this is how you preserve populations. And this is how you decimate them. And it's, to me, it almost always comes back to insecure anglers that, you know, are too intellectually lazy to understand why they're not catching anymore. They're doing the same things, the same methods in water systems that have undergone fundamental changes, whether it be through uh, alewife explosions or algae blooms or whatever the case may be, why you're not catching the fish you used to. You have to put the work in as anglers. You guys know this more than anybody probably in the country, and you have to adapt. You can't just sit there and say muskie are eating everything because it's not true. So you know? <laughs> it's true what you're saying. It's, I, it's, the, it's only thing, the only thing I want to add to that, listening to this conversation we're having, you know, because the three of us obviously all feel the same way about the ridiculous notion that, that you need to eradicate muskie from any Anybody water and reason being right. is for their uh, their beloved Atlantic salmon. This is the, but, the whole reasoning behind. Well, this, right? that's what I was just going to say. However, we're not looking at it through our opinions and views on this are very subjective. Of course. Okay. Looking at it, and I'm not. Trust me, I'm not turning here. I'm not. I'm not changing my opinion. He's turning. But, He's but, going but, to the dark side, I, Frank. But but you know, we're pretty quick to. For, I'll give you an example. You know, bass anglers. If anything invades the waterways where our favorite bass haunts mm-hmm. are, mm-hmm. any invasive uh, species, absolutely. any any human encroachment, any weather pattern, anything drastically changing yep. our beloved bass waters, we are right there at, uh, up on the Put hill. Them in with jail, the exactly. Whatever, right? Yeah, absolutely. Shoot them all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, you know, like we're we're big on that stuff, yep, right? Yep. Yep. So I mean, it's very easy for me to tell those folks down east that they're out of their minds for thinking that that they need to eradicate muskie from their waters and you know mm-hmm. instead of embracing and, and helping it flourish it's pretty easy for me to do that because i love muskie and i i'm for any place we can add muskie i'm all in right but i know but sometimes that, you gotta that look would at be the other side. if the muskie were the sole problem but it's not the muskies that's the sole problem right muskies are adapting to that water that the water has changed so much that the salmon can't adapt to the water and the muskies are and not just muskies but smallmouth bass and striped bass coming in there too right so i think those are both those are both fair observations and i think the answer is let's get some studies done and let's cut these fish open and see what they're eating 
I think everyone would be surprised to see the lack of Atlantic salmon in the belly of a muskie. In the belly of anything, uh, by the way. Just, I, thought, uh, just so well, you I, thought, I thought you were going to say cut the salmon open. I was going to say, holy, you're going to have death threats, Frank. Holy <laughs> shit. Look out, buddy. <laughs> oh, no, no, yeah. no. Uh, no, I, I, I think that uh, I think you won't see what you think you're going to see in the, in the belly. Yeah, of those yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sure. Uh, by the way, I got a, a quick story. I talked to Jeff Wilson from the East Coast yesterday, and he was just out striper fishing this week. He caught couple hundred stripers oh, in a day in this God. morning and he said holy shit my arms are so sore i gotta try something else so he went up to red bank the yep. red bank he was using his his garment he on uh, and on live scope he saw three more big fish sitting in a spot he said holy shit there's there's some uh, some salmon or some uh stripers have already made it up here and he threw out and he, so he That's got good. a 22 pound he got a 22 pound striper and then he went up and no he threw a, a fluke out and got a 20 pound salmon atlantic salmon on a friggin fluke i mean he had to wow. instantly throw it back but wow. like you can't even look at them or whatever but he said yeah it was, they're still there but that's the fishery up there it's crazy what a day on the water <laughs> yeah God. no kidding wow. you imagine that <laughs> Anyways, I just thought I'd get your your views on that's that. A great, no, uh, that's a great point. And I, yeah. it's, good. it's fun to hear what uh, Ontario professionals like Frank uh, think about this you know, Brunswick thing, because I'm sure they all look into it, right? So it's neat to hear the opinion. And, and I think we're going to hear more and more stories of muskie starting to you know rear their ugly heads in uh, in waterways that <laughs> yeah. they, were, they weren't there before. Their right? ugly pike heads. Yeah. There you exactly. go. Exactly. Which is exciting. Yeah. It's true. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, man. What's quickly, Frank? You're from the Niagara area. What's the fishery like? You said it was getting tough uh, in the last little bit. Is it is the Niagara River tough to get musky um, in? Yeah. Oh God. I, I mean, <laughs> we're frustrated, man. Right there. You know, we're so lucky to like Niagara is is one of the most underrated fisheries from a multi species perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is an amazing world class facility uh, uh, fishery yeah. um, for a lot of different species, as you guys well know, mm-hmm. but not not for musky. Okay. It's really tough. It's I, I went an entire season. I didn't get a fish uh, not too recently, um, and I'm okay with that. But um, it's tough. But I pretty much live on the Niagara River, so I mean, if I want to scratch the itch, I just get in my boat and I go. And yeah. um, and I appreciate the grind. But man, if you want to catch muskie, don't do it here. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Isn't that something? And that I heard I heard a couple of years ago, well, more than a couple of, see, I keep forgetting we've been in a pandemic for th- almost three right. years now, right? Mm-hmm. I'm more. Uh, yeah. But a few years ago, five, six years ago, I either read a study or I spoke to somebody who was involved in some kind of research and said that the uh, Niagara Gorge, the whirlpool, mm-hmm. um, Pete and I have fished it for, for carp, but supposedly it's it's a haven. For big muskie. Any truth to that at all? I'm not sure I would say Haven, but every angler I know has had a story where um, his spoon was followed in by a muskie. Um, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't know anyone who's seen huge, huge muskie down there, but, you know, it's it's weird. Like, some people say that in the lower Niagara River, the muskie are, are uh, fewer in numbers and bigger in size. Yeah. I'm not sure if I agree, but I'm, I definitely not put my time in the lower Niagara to make that judgment. Um, what I don't doubt is that there are giants out on the bar where everybody's fishing for trout, yep. lake right. trout. And, yeah. um, and you have that, you know, the, the nature of a bar like that is going to be a predator uh, mecca, right? And so uh, the U.S. side and, and coming up onto that bar, I've heard stories of giant, giant muskies caught there. I can't speak to their numbers, 
Um, and personally, I don't like the way the, the water behaves there, so I don't spend my days out on the boat. I don't part. blame you, buddy. We've been out in that, and that's some nasty water right there. Oh, well, it's, it's Pete. It's like one second you're like, oh, it's great, man. The water's like a, a mirror. And then you turn around, you change your bait, and you go to cast, and oh. you're in three-foot swell. Yeah, it's true. Right? That so, is so true. Um, it changes on a dime, and it can get pretty nasty. Uh, and quite honestly, the Queenston boat launch is garbage they don't do anything to improve it or, or maintain it and uh and although it's more beautiful than the upper um i find myself uh preferring to drive a half hour than uh walking out my front door onto the onto the lower so um yeah it depends on who you believe angelo yeah but uh if you want to go for a giant i would suggest fishing that bar and and uh and, and experimenting with different depths and and see how that goes uh best musky fishing hands down in uh, in the country where is it uh i don't think the people of lac sewell want me to say lac sewell but oh. <laughs> um you know it's uh to me and to chris it's lac sewell that's our place you know that's our and i i, I don't know that you can you know you guys were saying earlier pete you were saying you know everyone agrees you know um uh, the larry you know the larry um, but when we had the, the power panel at the Muskie Odyssey a few years ago and all these legends, you know, John Anderson and Mike Lazarus and all these guys, and almost everybody said they thought the next world record was going to come out of Georgian Bay. But the Georgian Bay is so hard to fish muskie. You've got to really be on your game. Uh, and then you got the St. Lawrence, and you guys know very well about the, the you know, the amazing fish in the St. Lawrence, mm. given your experiences there. Um, and then you've got the Ottawa River with the prettiest fish on the planet, Big fish, yellow, beautiful, awesome scenery, especially in the fall. Um, so I don't know, Angelo, that you can say this is my favorite muskie fishery because the muskies are best. I think the muskies are great in so many places. We're so lucky as muskie anglers to be in Ontario. But to me, not only the solitude of Lac Sewell, the way I feel when I get there, the type of fish to me, the journey, you know, in typical musky angler torture yourself fashion, there's something about getting up at 3 a.m., getting to the airport when it's dark, half asleep on the plane, landing in, uh, in Thunder Bay, you step out and right away the air is different from all the pine trees, getting in that, uh, uh, that car for five and a half hours. And then when you step onto that boat, there's nothing better. Uh, about that we have a we have a video from one of our lax Sewell trips a short montage on our on our youtube page and i i introduced the the video as you know this we're in the boat and i say this is the this is the first moment of the first of five days we're fishing and there's just no greater feeling in the world than this mm, than this so than true. this than this moment right what's mm. going to happen and as our our guide ben Beatty says to us boy some stuff is going to happen <laughs> so to me, to me, the answer is Laxul for every single one of those reasons, killer fish aside. Yeah. I, I can't believe the three of us have just spent almost an hour talking about muskie and not <laughs> once in that hour did anybody mention the French River. Uh, Good point. Well, Good point. you know what? I, I fell in love with the French River. It was the first place I fell in love uh, uh, from a fishery standpoint. Um, the Chaudier Lodge, I love oh. that lodge. Oh, um, yeah. I used to, yeah, I does. used to, I used to go there when Steve owned it. Uh, I remember letting him beat me in foosball uh, <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. Um, but you know what? There is, there's Angelo. There might be nothing else like this Canadian Shield. Um, oh. 
And it just, as Canadians and as a, as a boy who grew up fishing in the Shield, it, I think it brings us all back to our childhood and reminds us who we are as Canadians. So um, I think it goes without saying that that's a magical place. There's no doubt. What is it about, very quickly, what is it about these big river systems that harbor great big giant muskies? St. Lawrence, Saint uh, Lawrence, French River, Ottawa. Ottawa river. Well, I mean, Pete, if you lived on a treadmill, how big would your quads be? Well, that's, uh, yeah, right. you're right. You're right. You know, these fish are always fighting current. I mean, they're smart. They're experts at sheltering current. Um, but they've got to live and swim and strike in very, very heavy current conditions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I think that's probably what does it. Good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And plus, see, there's another side to that coin. Uh, our good friend, uh, uh, Mr. Flero, who is, the yeah. guru on the on the St. Lawrence, um, his opinion is that these fish don't have to work the way they do on a lake because mm. they can literally live right on that one spot their whole life, and their food is served to them. Floating bar. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Their food is served to them on a platter whenever they want it. And yeah, so, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if he knows, but I'm fishing with Ryan in September. So, oh, cool! Uh, right on. I'll, yeah, I'll definitely. Uh, he's got a I brand. Really want- he's got a brand new boat, buddy. You're going to be in this brand new. He hasn't even hit the water with it yet. I talked to him yesterday. <laughs> he says, "I'm still rigging it up with all." He's getting this thing decked right out. So you're going to have a well, good pro- platform. I need to get on. I need to get on that exclusive secret list of people he rents his accommodation to because. Yeah. Every time I ask him, he's like, nope, book for the year. So hopefully, uh, <laughs> You'll never get on it, buddy. Good, good luck with that one. Oh, God. You'll have fun. You'll have fun. Personal Great. best. We can't let you go without uh, asking a personal best from Frank. Um, well, you know, my very first muskie I ever caught, and it's funny, Angela, you say you can't be a, a hardcore muskie guy and fish brother. My very first trip was out to Lac Sewell with um, my cousins and we were on a muskie slash walleye trip. So that tells you how serious I was. I didn't know what the <laughs> heck I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing. And I hooked a giant doing a figure eight with a top, a top rater. So oh, something, oh, yeah, oh God. Right. So, so this is something I'll never probably replicate in my life. I did it by accident. Um, I didn't have proper measuring um, devices. We used an oar, we had five anglers that all approximated the, the length of that fish. We took the average of what everybody said, and we figured that fish was around 55 inches. Um, yeah. And then officially, um, 51 uh, out of the St. Lawrence uh, was the fattest, uh, meanest, and hardest fighting fish. But that Laxville fish was probably my biggest and, um, and probably one of the reasons why I keep going back there chasing that ghost, you know? Hey everybody, I'm interrupting this program to bring you the much-anticipated bonus code for the latest Fish in Canada giveaway. This week's code is FIGURE8. Now that's all caps and the number. So, capital F-I-G-U-R-E, number 8. Just type that into the bonus code section of the contest and receive 100 free entries. 100 free entries towards the latest Coleman giveaway. Wow, that's a deal. Now back to the episode. We all have that ghost that we... uh that we have either seen, made contact with, heard of. There's that's the other thing about musky fishing, right? It's it's the storytelling, it's the mystique, it's all of that stuff that draws us to it. Whenever we have an opportunity, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, you've been talking uh, uh, for the whole period about this this beer you're working with. Mm, what tell beer. us about this? Good beer. Yes. 
quickly, quickly, because I know you have a very important guest and uh, <laughs> and, and, and a personal idol of mine waiting. Right. Um, so like I alluded to before, we have a listener in Ontario who's a master beer maker who reached out to us after uh, we he heard that kind of that, that Julian Calcutta COVID episode. And, um, you know, we talked about Canadian traditions. So he said, listen, why don't we do a beer project? And, you know, we're, we're going to make this beer and we're going to make sure that it, it reflects our shared values. And so, um, you know, we wanted to put out the Ugly Pike Pilsner. It's coming uh, summer of 2022. Most places where you can buy beer, we're working on some really cool distribution deals right now that are done in principle, but we can't uh, announce them just yet. But the messaging was important to him. And as an angler and a beer maker, you know, we got together, we Man, we worked so hard on this recipe. Wanted a Pilsner, but we didn't want anything too strong, hoppy, and bitter. So it's super easy to drink and crisp and and uh, perfect for a day after the water. But, you know, um, our, our grains, we're taking an, an eco-friendly approach, just like we do as anglers, stewards of the environment. So our grains are going to the spent grains are going to go to Canadian, sorry, to Ontario farms to feed the animals. Nice. Excellent. Wow. Our, the brewery is brand new. Everything is, is state-of-the-art. And uh, the energy costs and cleaning, which is a huge part uh, of the consumption when you when you make beer, we're using 60% less energy. So we have a mandate. And the back of the can actually has the Canadian story and kind of what I described earlier about, you know, if we don't expose the youth to our great Canadian traditions, we we risk our, our cultural identity and we risk these going away and it's vital. So, you know, guess what else is a great Canadian tradition? We all love drinking beer. Yeah. And uh, so we wanted to have this product in line with our value as, values as anglers and stewards of the environment. And uh, Pete, let me know. I'm, I, I wanted you guys to have beer before we talk. Pete, I'm going to bring you beer. So hit me up on email. You I'll know deliver it, it to your door. You I'll know it. We'll have some for Angelo as well. Uh, and I, I want to get uh-huh. your feedback on it, and, and let's do this. Absolutely. And by the way, Frank sent me the label uh, uh, previously. We were just talking about it. I, can't, I couldn't forward or do anything with it. But I, it's a great label, too. Just like their Ugly Bike logo, this this label, you're going to look at it and say, that's a cool-looking can of beer right there. Yeah. I like it. Chris, Chris is a designer and a multi-talented guy, the the best angler I know, but super talented designer too, and and that was his uh, vision. So nice. I'm re- I'm really glad that resonated with you, and and we've shared it with a, just a few people because we're holding it tight to our vest. Uh, but we've had some interest overseas already, uh, and people that are kind of culturally culturally aligned nations contacts of ours that are really interested that the label really resonated with and so cool. uh, we think we've got a home run on our hands and we're super excited for the community to drink this this is gonna be the fisherman's beer and nice. we're, we're really yeah where, we're where, really we're happy yeah where, where are folks going to be able to buy this stuff well we're not allowed to say because our applications are pending but pretty much angelo where you buy beer so we're in discussion okay. right now with a major supermarket chain um, that that uh, controls a bunch of supermarkets. So um, we will be where you can buy beer. I'm positive of that. We just can't name names as of yet, but we'll make an announcement first week of June. Excellent. Well, let us know. Keep us informed, sure. and we'll help you uh, spread the word, my And friend. bring us some beer, And Frank. bring us some beer, yes. Thank you. <laughs> Pete, you, you let me know, and I'll get in my truck and come up the highway, and we'll make it happen. <laughs> you got it, brother. Perfect. All right, man. Uh, thanks for joining us, buddy. I know you've got a busy day as well, and we really appreciate you taking some time with us. All the best uh, of luck with the uh, podcast. Uh, I know it's doing well already, but uh, we can always, all of us can always use a little bit of extra help. So I urge folks that may not be familiar with the Ugly Pike 
uh, podcast to uh, check it out. I'm assuming, uh, Frank, it's available on all listening channels at uh, normal podcasts. All podcast apps, Spotify, iTunes. You can go to uglypikepodcast.com. We have embedded players if you're not a podcast app person. Um, and if you want to follow us at Instagram, at uglypike, we announce all of our releases, our episodes there. You can also go to the Fishing Canada website, uh, uh-huh. where we have a section where these guys graciously post all our episodes. And Chris and I want to thank you guys for being uh, good friends and, and good partners and good supporters of our show. You guys are, uh, you know, you guys are, you guys are everything to us. We grew up uh, watching oh, your show. And, here we go. Here we <laughs> go. Here we go. I Next, guys, the diapers. Guys, the diapers, sure. you were in diapers watching the show. I know, I know. We get it all the time. Uh, I, I, I'm not so sure. We're a little older than that. But, you know, you guys are huge influencers, and, and we value our connection with your show, and, and we respect it, and, and we're just honored that you guys are uh, are here to support us. So thank you. Nice to hear. And, by the way, I think uh, a guest appearance from Angelo Voilo on the Ugly Pike podcast would be a nice one, too. I'm just going to suggest we're, we're, that. We're absolutely going to reach out with you guys. I want you guys to try the beer first, and then we'll reach out. How's that? Perfect. Go? Even better. All right, guys. All right. Uh, thank you very much, Frank. Re- appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck to you, and uh, we'll all keep an eye out for the Ugly Pike Pilsner. Yeah. yeah. I can taste it already. Yeah, baby. All right, Jen. Take thank care, you very buddy. Much. Uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Frank uh, Ungaro. Great guy. What a, Didn't what get a to talk about his jiu-jitsu. I mean, he's, like, he is that good. He's He's... Canadian wow. top level Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I had not. Yeah, I did not. Badass. Know Never know it. He's the nicest guy in the world. Um, yeah, don't don't uh, roll on the mat with that guy if you want to. Uh, in, in a serious manner. How's that? Oh, now you got me <laughs> concerned now. No, no, no. He's, he's a martial artist. They know how to control everything. They're very good at that kind of stuff. So that was the theory, the culture behind musky fishing. That's kind of the we touched on some folklore. We touched on all kinds of. Interesting little uh, yeah. side notes. Yeah, yeah. And now it's time to dip into a little bit more of the scientific. The science? Oh, boy. I think I know who you're getting on now. Scientific side. Um, and who better to represent the scientific side than our good friend, the doc, as he's known on Outdoor Journal Radio for a number of years. Um, he is the former senior manager with the MNR, now a fishing editor of Outdoor Canada magazine and field editor of In Fisherman magazine. He's hosted several uh, of the old In Fish uh, television programs. Correct. A uh, member of the Canadian Angling Hall of Fame and wow. just all This guy around. got anything, no titles? Like, is there anything he hasn't done or accomplished? Not or? much. Not much. Let me tell you. Wow. We call him the doc, uh, our good friend Gord Pizer. How you doing, Gordy? I'm doing good, boys. How about you? Not We're doing bad. good, buddy. It's been a while since yeah. we talked. Yeah. It has. It has been a while. Good God. We didn't realize how uh, dependent we all were on, on Outdoor Journal Radio every week, listening to you, and all of a sudden, boom, gone. It was, it was a, uh, it was, uh, you know, it, I got in a groove, and every Saturday, it was almost like at uh, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning up here, I'd yeah. get a phone call from yeah. you. Yeah, it was great. It was great. How you keeping, buddy? Doing really well. Although, Good. what a winter. Oh, my God. Oh. When will it end? Yeah, you guys are still uh, pretty You're much iced in, in, aren't you? Yeah. I would think. Two, Lake of the Woods, I would drive my truck anywhere on it right now. Two oh. feet of ice. Oh, wow. man. Oh so God. with your experience, That's crazy. If, if if we started getting favorable weather now, how long would it take to get rid of two feet of ice on Lake of the Woods? We will. This will be the first, I think, ever 
Never, ever, ever on the say. third Saturday in May will be iced in for the it. opening of Walleye. Oh, my God. Wow. What's that going to mean? Insane. What's that going to do? Oh, it's going to be terrible, Ange. The walleye will not have spawned. Uh, when the bass season opens, they'll probably only be coming onto beds. It's it's uh, it, a musky season's going to open with the spawn just starting. It's... Uh, Boy, it's one of those weird, we've had three times the amount of snow of normal. Uh, We've lost 80% of the deer herd. It's it's unbelievable. Man, oh man. Wow. And none of us have any idea that's going on. That's the worst part about it. Yeah, this is the first, and I've heard of it right now, so. And and could it come at a worse time, Gord, for walleye on Lake of the Woods? I mean, could there? No. I mean, what a script if you wanted to, to, to. to write something that's just devastating. This is a story. Yeah, it's really, really, really sad. Um, you would hope, you know, uh, it's wishing for too much, but uh, you would hope that the ministry would put an emergency measure into effect, but I'm, I'm sure they won't. Um, would you, I was would just you, thinking the same thing. Would you be in favor of, a, of some kind of a moratorium on, on walleye fishing out of that lake right now? I, I, it's 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 right across the uh, southeastern Manitoba, northwest Ontario. Um, uh, I would say, you know, the vast majority of anglers hopefully are are conservation oriented enough that they're going to say, even though the season does open and we might be able to get our boats in and. But, you know, we're not going to keep spawning female walleyes on the 24th of May this year. How will they know that, Gord? How will the average angler, first off, they have to be told that, but then how would they know that that, uh, I mean, aside from a male milking on your boat or a female maybe spewing eggs or something, if it's just a little bit before that, how do they know? How does a person tell? You know, it's a good question, Pete. We, uh, we, when, in the old days, we used to talk about this quite a bit, but we're, we're losing touch with the nature, aren't we? We, mm-hmm. you know, we're getting so... Um, uh, urbanized and whatever. We've just lost, lost touch with being outdoors. And you would, you know, in the old days, we'd say, my God, it's uh, the ice foot just went out yesterday. Water temperatures 40 degrees. Walleyes don't spawn until, you know, into the mid 40s, high 40s. They haven't even started yet. We're, we just won't keep them. But, uh, you know, mo- a lot of folks will say, well, the season's open. MNR says we can keep them. We'll keep them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's, that's a, true. It's going to happen for sure. It's going to happen. You mentioned, of course, that Muskie will probably be open as as this is all taking place as well. Uh, um, let's talk about that. We're 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 on today's program. We're kind of exploring the whole mystique about Muskie fishing. Maybe maybe uh, uh, confirming some of the stories. Maybe dispelling others. Uh, the, the open whole- the opening Muskie is it the third Saturday in May up there, Gore, or, or in June? Yep. I mean, sorry. Yes, okay. and and the interesting thing, and a lot of folks don't realize this, Pete, is it always did open on the spawn. <clears throat> when muskies share water with northern pike, they spawn twice that spring. They always spawn twice when they share the water with northern pike. Oh. And the second spawn, if you will, is always after the season has opened. This year, it will likely be even before the first spawn. Wow. And, and what's the reason for that second yeah. spawn? 
Well, what happens is uh, it's called uh, uh, allopatric and sympatric populations. When they share a lake with northern pike, uh, the northern starts, they'll start spawning almost any day now. So they spawn under the ice and uh, as the ice is retreating. So imagine now two months from now or a month and a half, those small northern pike are about the size of your, your small fingernail muskies will come in and they'll lay their eggs and the northerns have got like an eight-week advantage and as soon as those larval muskies hatch they get gobbled up by northerns young of the year northerns and what muskies will do is they'll come in the first time and they'll lay about 75 percent of their eggs and then they'll back off and they'll pull out for about a week to 10 days, and then they'll come in a second time, and they'll lay the other 15 to 25%. And that again, that's Mother Nature's way of ensuring if you do it twice, there's a greater chance that you're going to be successful, at least of a few of them. If you put all your eggs in one basket, um, often they get eaten. Anything else hatching that during that period? Any other species? Uh, You know, everything really is. uh, Young of the year perch are coming in, and so there's little buffers. This will be a phenomenal mayfly year. It's uh, it's an even year, and that's when we get the big uh, two-year mayfly cycle. So there are little buffers. Um, but the reality is when, so in lakes like Georgian Bay, Lake of the Woods, Lac, Sioux Illegal, uh, Wabagoon, whatever, where they share with Northern Pike, and it's, again, it's very, very natural, um, the muskies spawn twice. If we have, a, we have several lakes up here, not unlike the Kawarthas, uh, where muskies are the only species in the lake. And then when they're the only species, when they're not sharing with northerns, they come in and spawn just like a northern pike, drop their eggs once, and that's it. I was going to ask that. That's, that's, that's what I'm, now, what about a lake, Gord? This is all interesting stuff to Angie and I because we never knew this. But a lake like like the Kawarthas, let's say Rice Lake, where it's been prominently and predominantly all these years muskies, and now northerns are moving into the system. Do the muskies then, will they naturally change into a double spawn? No, you see, that is the real problem, Pete, when when we get invasives, whether they're gobies or, or northern pike or whatever, um, the, the evolutionary uh, 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 adaptation is over thousands of years, uh, not five years, ten years. So it really is problematic mm-hmm. when we have lakes that used to be pure musky waters that all of a sudden northerns invade uh, because they don't, they can't adapt that quickly. And you know, usually the the invasive does so well. So now on a lake mm-hmm. like Rice Lake, uh, using that just as an example, if there's northerns in there, they come in and spawn in March and April. And then in May, June, the muskies come in and they just do their normal thing. The other interesting thing with, when they share the lakes, so when on Lake of the Woods or Laxu, Illegal, uh, Wabagoon, when they share with northerns, the muskies generally don't spawn on the best spots. Uh, they they are, I was going to say smart enough, but it has nothing to do with intelligence. Just evolutionary, 
they have learned to avoid those absolutely prime areas for spawning because, uh, in effect, they're they're loaded with northerns. So the muskies will back out, and they'll actually spawn over mud and detritus and really secondary locations, and they're subject to windstorms. And if, so if you get a really bad windstorm uh, second, third week of June, the eggs are often muddied over and they lose them. And that, again, is why they'll come in a second time and lay that those that last 25%. Wow, that's, that's the, the other fascinating thing, boys, is you guys know this. We Most muskie anglers know this. The, uh, muskies are faithful for life. Uh, they're kind of like smallmouth bass. Uh, when we did all our research here on Lake of the Woods, where smallmouth lay their eggs against the rock where they hatched. Not in the same bay, they will often lay their eggs against the exact same rock that they hatched. Well, muskies uh, are very, very faithful to their spawning areas, and so they'll come back to those same bays, but they're extremely territorial. So what they do is they drive off the, if you've got a big female, she'll try and drive off all the other females. And so you only have often one, two, three, four fish in a very large area attempting to protect that area as their own. And what we've seen now on the St. Lawrence is that works to their detriment when you've got gobies in there eating, gobbling up the eggs. It's only a very, very small handful of fish that are protecting that one spawning area. Mm. And you know, he just re- he reiterated what you said earlier about what? the the groups of muskies going in. I said, really, and then that's why because they're exactly the, big, the dominant females are pushing all the other ones oh, out, no and it's just yeah, it's cool. We were talking earlier on um, with uh, Frank from uh, Ugly Pike Podcast, who was on their program, Frank Frank Mangaro, uh, um, about how we have these personal feelings on um, invasive species moving into our beloved, you know, say whether it's bass or walleye or in this case, pike or uh, musky waters and screwing up with our, with our spawning of, of our favorite game fish, et cetera. And how we automatically, you know, have this, this, I hate you attitude towards the invasive species. Um, but yet, I was just listening to you, Gordon, watching Pete's expression on his face as you're talking about about invasive um, uh, uh, pike moving into musky waters and and screwing around with our with our musky spawn, and yet when somebody else does it, as for example on the East Coast, where musky are the invasive species moving into their waterways, we call those folks crazy for wanting to eradicate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. On, on the Columbia River in British Columbia right now, you're instructed to kill every walleye you can catch. Yeah, we read we, that we, recently too. That's why. Because they're invading, and you know that's natural, uh, uh, natural rainbow trout water. Mm-hmm. And people, it's the bucket brigade. I, 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 uh, you know, we have so many lakes here in the northwest Ontario with smelt in it. And again, it's the bucket brigade trying to think, well, we should we should bring in smelt and then pike will grow bigger, lake trout. And it just doesn't work that way. If they were meant to be here, they'd be here. 
Mm, good point. How did uh, this this uh, uh, pike in the Kawarthas is kind of in a tree? It's certainly Rice Lake. Oh, um, this moving balsam, tons of them. Well. Uh, yeah. uh, was it Canal? I think there's a ton of big pike in Canal. Yeah. They're getting bigger too. Yeah. I think they're they're just happening everywhere now. They're getting in the system. I don't think they're in Scugog yet that I've heard, anyways. Uh, they will be. They will they, be. Yeah. yeah, they will be for, for sure. sure. It's a perfect perfect oh body God. water the, for them. The amount of muskies. Yeah. There, so. Oh, it's it's ideal. So how do you deal with that, Gord? As as a former uh, scientist, Scientist, if you will, with M and R, how do you, how did you folks, or how do they deal with that kind of stuff today? Well, it, 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 honestly, guys, you start. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's you know, um, it truly, truly is hard. Um, I I want to be optimistic about muskies in the St. Lawrence, but everything they they are having trouble finding like a dozen juvenile fish in the river. Wow. Um, uh, the, the gobies are simply eating every now with smallmouth bass. Smallmouth protect the the nest, right? And so you get a male down there, and he does everything he can to protect those eggs. But a muskie is a broadcast spawner, so she comes in, she dumps her eggs, and then swims away. And within probably twenty four hours, they cannot find, for all intents and purposes. We cannot now find naturally reproducing muskies in the number one potentially world record river where historically it has been the banner watershed. And now we're at the stage where we can't find young of the year. Hmm. That's crazy. Wow. I know going back, Ange, to the Kawartha thing again, one thing the ministry has done here. In, and it's not a big thing, but it is a step in that direction of, in that in zone 17, they have open pike all year. So the the pike that are in here, it doesn't matter when you catch, they want you to catch them and keep them and eat them or whatever you can do. So I know it's not going to eradicate them, but at least they've taken that which, step. Which uh, is the same thing that's happening down east where they're trying to do that with muskie. Right. right? Yep. But. Uh, right. All I'm trying to say is it's funny how, you know, one man's uh, treasures and another oh, man's yeah. trash, et cetera. Yeah. You know, we're, we look at that saying, are you crazy? You got to protect yeah. the muskie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yet here now, you just said that, that it's open season on pike and the quarters and we're saying yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Right. But I just, yeah, it's the, it's the a philosophy pike, that I'm just the, trying to. I think the, the pike thing down here is that we're. We're talking about this beautifully established musky fishery um, in that trophy world because you can't, you don't even see them small usually. And everybody that's fishing for them is fishing for a big one. And then you're getting an invasion of hammer handles. Like these, these pike, they're probably not ever going to get to that 45 to 50 inch range in Rice Lake. You know, they're going to be a little pesty. Yeah. They're going to be this pesty little jig stealing pig that eats everything up. Right. So uh, I think they might consider that too as you put it in a comparison there's no way you can compare this giant muskie to a little snaky pike maybe i don't know and you know the other thing unfortunately that it does and it's kind of like walleye in the columbia and a smallmouth bass out in british columbia it when anglers move fish it tends to cheapen the resource because mm-hmm. then you've got now people in BC going every time you catch one of those goddamn smallmouth, kill it, get yeah. it out of there, and, yeah. get it out, yeah. yeah, yeah. And we know they're magnificent fish, right. but they're magnificent fish where they belong, yeah. and they don't belong on Vancouver Island. Mm. 
Good point. That's, That's a good interesting. point. All right, back to Muskie. We're getting way off base here. This is crazy. No, not with Gordy. We never do. <laughs> <laughs> we always do. You know, I wanted to say one thing because Frank brought up a really good, I was listening in, and I know you asked the question. Um, muskies are riverine fish. Uh, they are not lake fish. They are a riverine species, oh. so uh, they are adapted. They are they are made for moving water, and you know you you might say, well, wait a sec, they're in Lake of the Woods and rainy, and but Lake of the Woods is a flowage. Right. If you think back before the days of dams and 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 the barriers and those sorts of things. It's a flow-through system. So Rainy Lake goes down the Rainy River into Lake of the Woods, out of Lake of the Woods into the Winnipeg River, et cetera, et cetera. And so, in effect, it's a flowage. It's moving water. And so when you look at the Ottawa River, St. Lawrence River, French River, uh, Georgian Bay, uh, Niagara River, all the really, really good musky spots, they are moving water systems. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. That's really interesting. There and, you go. And is it safe to say that, conversely speaking, pike are not? Uh, no, uh, uh, pike can certainly be, but pike are more uh, probably not certainly as moving water. But muskies are, we don't often associate it this way, but muskies are kind of like rainbow trout. They, their natural habitat is moving water. Hmm. And again, when you think of the Kawartha Lakes, traditionally or historically, they were moving water systems. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah all the dams and canals and, and that lifts. Another, well, another two rivers to mention uh, are St. Clair and Detroit River. Oh, Those are huge sure. musky fisheries, sure. too. So. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so talk to us about musky habitat. You just mentioned that word, so let me get right on to it. Uh, give us give us a, a sort of a snapshot of what would be ideal musky habitat. What's it look like? Well, it's that's a really good, interesting question, Ange, because, um, again, in the pure natural system, if it was natural, we, we all know what it would be. It's those beautiful, weedy, uh, cabbage, coontail, pencil reeds, cattail marshes. Um, they are there. They certainly, from a spawning per, uh, perspective, um, that's where they gravitate first thing in the spring. Um, they are ambush predators. They they need that aquatic vegetation. Um, now, in the systems like Lake of the Woods and Eagle and Laxul, they share it with many others. Um, but you, but first and foremost, from a natural reproduction perspective, you do need those magnificent aquatic vegetation areas, and that's what the St. Lawrence, French River, uh, Georgian Bay. You know, we have those in a, in in abundance. So first and foremost, you need those. Uh, weedy, uh, deep weed lines, cattails, pencil reeds, uh, critically important for spawning. Um, and then interestingly, in the rest of the year, and I get this question asked many, many times, and I always give the same answer. Folks say, I've never caught a muskie. I really want to catch one. And how would I go about doing it? And I I almost hesitate because it's such a good way to do it. But you know what it is, guys? Go bass fishing. Mm -hmm. 
mm. with musky gear. If you go, it, I have found so many of my best musky spots have come bass fishing. So uh, we'll be bass fishing. You get a nice, you know, two, three, four pounder on, bring it in, and lo and behold, there's a musky following. Or you throw in, uh, you know, you'll throw in a swim bait or you'll throw in a jerk bait. You're ripping it back. And holy man, look at the size of the fish behind my bait. And truly, truly, if you know nothing about muskies the rest of the year after the spawn, go bass fishing with musky uh, tackle. And you will be so successful. I love that. That's awesome. I've been working on a theory for a while that I will will put on the table. I think I've mentioned it to Pete, but I will put it on the table now. Um, And that is that if we spent more time... And I know this goes against everything that we talk about and everything that people have said and everything that we've read and everything that we believe to be true. But hear me out on this. We spend so much time focusing on a species um, in terms of where do I find it? You just mentioned muskie. We talked about bass. We've talked about walleye. Where do I find walleye? Where do I find bass? And my theory is a little bit different than that. Rather than pursue that question, wouldn't it make more sense to ask yourself what are they feeding on, and where do 100%, I, and where do I 100%, find where, where do I find that? So let me take all the time that I spend researching walleye, for example. Let me spend all that time finding out what they eat and where I can find that. Right. I have spent the last year probably more hours. Uh, the American Fisheries, I'm a member of the American Fisheries Society, the AFS, and uh, the Canadian Journal of Fish and Wild Fisheries Management. From a muskie perspective, Ange, I have spent all my time researching whitefish. Perfect. See, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. Find a whitefish, you're going to find a muskie on that body of water. Interestingly, they, whitefish whitefish behavior is to avoid muskies. And so what they will will do is during the day, they pull out into deep water and they they separate its predator avoidance. And muskies are visual predators, so they see well during the day. So when do you think whitefish come shallow? At night. Mm -hmm. Ah, and so when's the... When's the best time for muskies? Early morning and late evening. And uh, I never want to give them uh, human qualities, but I'm always throwing now whitefish looking baits. And my attitude is they see it and they go, oh, my God, first whitefish of the day. <laughs> I love it. I love that. And, you know, what, what Angela's saying is true on all, on all species, not just muskies, but he said it. Because I got onto this thing um, once I got learning about Garmin's live scope. And I got to the point uh, I was just looking for balls of perch, not looking for predators, looking for the balls of perch, and the predators would then be around that. You know what I mean? So it, just, it, it was hand in hand. It was so cool seeing that. It so, makes so much sense, guys, to – to start spending more and more time checking out where you'd find food. Now, another freaky thing on that, guys, is that when I was finding these balls of perch, though, it would only be smallmouth. In a lake with musky, walleye, largemouth, and smallmouth, it was only the smallmouth that were out in these open water balls of perch. 
I thought that was kind of strange in a way. But what, one thing, though, Pete, is there are times during the day, uh, yellow perch, for example, yellow per- perch can't see well in dark conditions. So perch are visual feeders. And what perch do once morning comes during the day, they lift up, mm-hmm. uh, they suspend, if you will, and they become very active. And then at night, perch can't see in the dark, if you will. So once it starts, they drop down and they hit the bottom. I will tell you this unequivocally, our number one pattern for lake trout right now is fishing for yellow perch. Um, It is, and because what the trout do is they come in and they start coming right over the shoals and the yellow perch are having a hard time seeing, they drop down to the bottom to rest for the night and the lake trout just gobble them up like crazy. So you're absolutely right, Pete. They, They behave differently during the day, but those predators will lock into their advantage and that's why... Uh, walleye and yellow perch is the classic predator prey. Yeah. Walleye see better at low light. Perch see better during the day. Perch drop down to the bottom at night. Walleye become active in the evening and they cross paths. And the like predator prey 101 at, in biology is walleye yellow perch. That's, you know, that's so, so that, that was same. Uh, smallmouth perch balls that I'm going after, but that's great. It's in, the only problem I have with that gourd is by that time I'm in having a beer in the cottage. So <laughs> it's not. I mean, there's a bit of an issue going on there, but uh, but I love that. I, I'm gonna have to hold the beer off for a bit and try it. I, that's that's very interesting. I'm sure even muskies might. Mono, and I don't know if muskies eat in the nighttime or not. But like gourd, said, but. taking that one step further, and this is the part where I'm just starting to get my head around. Taking that one step further. Those perch, you're talking about perch with Pete's case, the whitefish in case of of muskie up on uh, um, your lake. If we find out more about that that food base and start learning about its food and what it does, wouldn't that be the ultimate way to go predator hunting? It is, is, Ange, 100%. I'll say two things. I did a absolutely fascinating piece with Jeff Maddity. Uh, if folks go on Outdoor Canada uh, the, uh, on, on the water online, exactly what you're talking about. Uh, the dynamics of yellow perch, the way they spawn, the number of eggs they lay, there are certain things about yellow perch that are more unique than almost any other bait fish. And it's because they are the rabbits of the water. Everything eats them. And But here's the point, and I always remember fishing the Ottawa River with John Anderson, and I got another friend who did his Ph.D. on on, on, uh, uh, Emerald Shiners on Lake Winnipeg. And if you go down to the Emerald Shiner uh, level, and start thinking about emerald shiners and spot-tailed shiners, and you put that as your focus, everything eats them. So the perch are eating the shiners, the muskies are eating the perch, the bass are eating the perch, the walleyes are eating the perch. Everything eats young of the year northern pike. We think, oh my God, I, I caught a large pike, I better wash my lure. 
uh, all these other things are going <laughs> to smell northern pike. <laughs> Yellow perch eat more northern pike probably than any other species. It's only when the pike get bigger when they turn the, you know, they turn the wagon around. But you're absolutely right, Ange. If we focus on mayflies, chironomid larvae, uh, emerald shiner, spot-tailed shiners, the rest of the fish look after themselves. Yeah, it becomes like it, the puzzle just falls together, doesn't it? And that's, that's cool. it really does. It's something cool. that uh, that I'm going to certainly start using a little bit more than than. Then do, doing it the other way, right? We start with, okay, where am I going to find muskie? Well, muskie, like, you know, you just mentioned the weeds and they want an end, they want a point. They want, but but if we just say, okay, what, what are they feeding on this time of year? And what does that look like? And where is that feeding? Then all of a sudden, boom. And it just seems so obvious now. It's like and a, more importantly, more importantly, guys, is we tend to confuse uh, preferred forage with uh, abundant forage. So the number one thing that smallmouth bass eat, crayfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a normal system, crayfish, but they're not preferred. So what is preferred from a smallmouth perspective is alewife smelt, uh, Cisco. And, and if you, so you show them a million crayfish, absolutely they'll eat it. You show them one smelt and they go crazy. Hmm. Okay. What does that? All right. What does that it's tell rather, us? What does they, that? They, it tells us that if you can find the, as Pete talked about, those open water cruisers, those those wolf packs of smallmouth right. that are herding uh, Cisco smelts out in open water, they are they are the ones that win every tournament. That's true. That's, that is true. That's an interesting observation, right that there. That is true. Wow. Wow. Interesting. Wow. All right. Um, Let's go back to muskie. I got a question. I I got a question. Why are they so hard to catch, Gordy? They're called the fish of 10,000 casts. Why is a muskie so hard to catch? There aren't very many of them, Pete. There you go. Numbers. 100%. Again, they're an apex predator. They're the top of the food chain. So, uh, the population of, of uh, walleyes in Lake Erie uh, right now, I believe it's about 110 million fish. There, there are probably 20,000, 30,000 muskies in all of Lake of the Woods. It's, it's purely a numbers game. Okay. And yeah. purely. And here, that makes it hard for us as anglers because... And you can do absolutely everything right. You can be fishing the right rod, right reel, right lure, right speed, right color uh, in the right spots. And you don't see a thing because there's nothing there. It's, mm. it's, it becomes mm. much clearer when you look at things like the Serengeti or any, any of the African plains. There's a billion uh, antelope and, and gazelle and water buffalo and zebras and you name it, but just a handful of lions. Well, yeah. <laughs> nature built it that way because if it, if that balance changes, uh, things would happen real quick and it would get That's real a ugly. Good point, yeah. Right? And That's the water's good, yeah. the same. That's why we don't see we don't see very many grizzly bears. Exactly. We don't see we don't see very many uh uh cougars in Ontario. Mm-hmm. I've seen one cougar here uh in all my years. Uh 
there aren't very many. <laughs> There's a handful if you're lucky. And, I, uh, you know, in most of our lakes, especially the ones we don't stock, and again, that creates a false impression. Uh, Jimmy Sarek from the Muskie Hunter, uh, Jim's a good friend, and Jim told me one time I probably couldn't make Muskie Hunter television show if it wasn't for the heavy stocking, artificial stocking in the lakes in the U.S. Right, right. I believe that yeah, for, for sure. sure. Speaking of which, then, what's our range here in Canada? What, what where, where do muskie live? Unquestionably, guys, we have the best in the world. There is, it's an embarrassment of riches. Uh, we have unquestionably the best muskie fishing, St. Lawrence, uh, the, the Great Lakes system, the Kawartha Lakes, Lake Nipissing is phenomenal, Georgian Bay is phenomenal, um, and then you start swinging across to this part of the country, uh, the Eagles, Lac Sewells, uh, Wabagoons, Lake of the Woods, Rainy Lake, Seine River. So, you know, they're, they're, and that's it. They don't go any further. They're no further west than Lake of the Woods. So why, why wow. is that? Why wouldn't they be found in Manitoba? Um, you know, there's a few, I'm sure, in the Winnipeg River as, as it comes out of Ontario. But uh, again, you're looking at, uh, uh, water body systems, all of a sudden, they're not the same kind of uh, Canadian shield. All of a sudden, they're right. prairie potholes. Uh, they're, they're conducive to northerns, but they're not conducive to muskies. Mm. Uh, the forage is different. The setup is different. The morphology of the lakes is different. And it's, uh, it's the reason we don't have mule deer in southern Ontario. You find yeah. them on the prairies. You don't find them yeah. in southern Ontario. Good point. Um, Good point. I, wonder how, know, I wonder if they'll adapt. Like, they have certainly adapted to the St. John's River in New Brunswick, right? That's right? So they really picked up there. I wonder if they would adapt throughout Quebec or Manitoba at least. You know what I mean? If they, if they were somehow introduced. Do you think? Oh, there's, there's probably isolated systems. Uh, for sure, I'm sure there are in in Quebec in particular, and and Nova Scotia, New Brunswick. Uh, I doubt on the prairies. So when when you think about the prairies, mm-hmm. um, very very relatively speaking, shallow, uh, weedy, and it just favors northern pike. If you put a muskie in there, uh, they they just wouldn't survive the competitive the environmental uh, advantages to northern pike. Right. And that's why historically they've always been here. But I'm sure I, I grew up on a lake actually in, in the Halliburton Highlands and it was not a musky water and it was stocked by MNR and it became a magnificent lake. But again, it's finding those little tiny systems that, uh, you know, offer the right depth, the right spawning. There's always a limiting, there's always a limiting environmental condition, usually at spawning areas, and uh, that's what limits them from being there in the first place. Hmm. Gordy, for a fish that is so, certainly in our opinion, while we already know it's hard to catch, but we know it's hard to catch because there's so few of them, but for a fish that's so hard to catch and seems so intelligent and so weary and so evasive and so all of these things, why the hell does it fall prey to the figure eight? Like that seems to like the dumbest thing in the world for a fish to do. You know? But you answered you answered your own question, Ange. 
they are not smart. <laughs> they are not hard to catch. They are one of the easiest fish. Honest truth, and I know some folks don't like me. They are one of the easiest fish to catch. The wow. reason we don't, wow. the the reason we don't, is for the reasons we just talked. They're not there. But if you know there's a muskie there, it is actually quite easy to catch. And I'll tell you the other reason. And muskie anglers need to learn from the bass guys. They need to learn from the trout anglers. The reason figure eights, we don't induce takes. We throw up giant uh, number nine or a number 10 double-bladed spinner. And what do we do? We fire it as long as we can, and we just turn the handle, and we wonder, whoa, look, there's a fish mesmerized coming behind it. Now, we then go into a figure eight, and then what we do on that figure eight is we try to induce a take. And I always say that's the worst time of the entire cast. You should have induced that take halfway through. You should have induced the take at the beginning. And musky anglers, by and large, uh, don't do that. Okay, we throw do... a top water and we watch it. We throw jerk baits. We throw glide baits. We throw rip baits, whatever. And then we see it following. And then watch. All of a sudden, when we see it following, we go into this mad dash that induces the take. So, I always so say true. do that at ha- halfway through your cast and you'll be far more successful. It's so true. You know and I mean? how would you do that, Gord? Uh, we do it with bass all the time. You'll rip, 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 pause. And they run right into your bait. Or the, or you'll go rip, 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 pause, and then rip, rip, and then pause again. And you induce the take. Um, the, the thing that I like to do, though, and and this is a little a little favorite is when I know my bait long before it gets right to the side of the boat in that last twenty five to forty feet of retrieve, I stop the retrieve and let the bait dive. So especially if I'm fishing big soft plastic, so if I'm throwing a pounder, I'm throwing a uh, a, a rover swim bait, any of the the big heavy, a shadzilla soft plastic, I let it rush to the bottom in that last 25, 30 feet of my cast. And then all of a sudden it rushes down to the bottom. My line starts going more vertical. And then all of a sudden, as soon as it gets over the side of the boat and I'm down 20, 15 feet or whatever, I rip it side to side to side and I bring it up as fast as I can. And those aren't figure eights. They eat it at the side of the boat. Okay, you know you have every single damn... Angelo's face right now is priceless, angler right now saying, what the hell are you talking about, Gord Kaiser? <laughs> What's the one thing when you're, you're with, when you're with a, a, a musky guide, okay... What's the one thing that sticks with you at the end of your day or couple of days with him? And that is that he's constantly yelling at you, retreat, retreat, bring in. There's, a, there's a, you got a follower. Hurry up. Really, really, really. Now you're saying, now you're saying, don't do that. Yes. No. Yeah. And <laughs> here's the more important point. 
always. Uh, this is, I swear to God, this is the truth. Uh, on every cast, I assume I have a follow. Mm-hmm. On every cast, I assume I've got a following fish. And it's far, far, far better and far, far, far easier to hook it halfway into the cast than it is at the side of the boat. Right. I agree with you 100%. Right, 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 I'm just right. saying, I think I'm listening to you, and I know, having been with enough enough musky anglers that, that are always barking, you got to follow a real, 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 to know that right now they're scratching their heads. And I love it. Well, I love it. Instead of instead of doing that real, 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 make the erratic changes at the side of the boat, do it halfway out when he doesn't see the boat and it right. doesn't. It, here's here's the other thing, and this is super super important. Um, I know we like to give them human qualities and say they're smart. Uh, they're not. They've never had an original point in or thought in their life. <laughs> That's right. Think, no, guys, think about That's true. this. That's true. Look at your average musky bait. What are the four biggest things you see hanging down from it? Gigantic number four, hooks. number six, uh, yeah, number yeah, eight hooks. Yeah, say, if troubles. these things were smart, they would never true. eat that. True. <laughs> true enough. True enough. So, so here, but so here's the important takeaway, and this really is important. They are following our baits, not to look at it to say, um, "I'm looking for flaws." And this is what we do when we say they're smart. We go, oh, my God, look how smart he is. He's looking at our bait, trying to see all the flaws. Are you kidding me? It's got four gigantic hooks hanging yeah. down. It knows it's a flaw. It, but number one, it doesn't even think that. It's looking for a reason to eat your bait. To so it. give it the yeah. reason. Yeah, to kill it. You know what, guys? I, here's, here's something that is, is kind of the same thing that I've learned with, with pike, and it goes the same way, is that – there's a difference between pike and muskie, but the, there's a similarity in that they're definitely a following fish. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And uh, and I learned way back when that if a pike is a very same thing. They'll follow and spook off real quick. The problem with the pike is they spook off a lot quicker than a muskie. At least a muskie got a chance. That's why yes. this is suspending jerk baits number one, which is goes to kind of what Gordy's saying is that if you're running a suspending jerk bait, you have a good chance of catching that fish throughout the cast because he's following and you're stopping it, boop boop boop, and stopping it and going. You got a really good chance at triggering that strike away from the boat before he even gets close to the boat. I think that's number one. And the other thing, and this probably goes hand in hand with muskie too, is that's why a lot of times trolling for pike is much more effective than casting because they're following and following and even if that bait doesn't change they finally don't see a boat and they say that's it i'm eating this bitch anyways but you when know what you I mean? get, when do you get that strike generally when you turn the boat yes right yeah, when yeah. you stop the boat or slow the boat down or make a curve an arch but my point is he's not seeing the boat he's finally no. getting he's he's way out there and bait stopping the bait pushing the button doing a change sometimes not even changing he'll just finally say that's enough you know what i mean so it's it's just the they're instinctive but out there you can trigger a, a bite better than right at boat side for sure and if you do and, and, and your point is so good. Um, you, I've got a friend down in Sioux Narrows, a uh, fellow from Wisconsin, got a cottage down there, and he does a tremendous amount of underwater camera work. 
he's taken the, he's pulled and he's got so he's got a camera on a downrigger trolling for muskies. He's pulled them out over a hundred feet of water, and he says if the average muskie angler knew how long these fish are following our baits, but it's because we tend to just present rhythmic retrieves right. and it's those directional right. changes yep. so you make the directional change this is a fish that's looking at your bait not to find a flaw but something to tell it to yeah. eat give it a reason something that says yeah. this is good eat it yeah. and as soon as it sees it it jumps same with the walleye right the yeah. trolling will you yeah. turn, make a pass you do a turn, a turn or two yeah. uh, uh, waves slowing your your bait down then moving faster it's another interesting point to make at this time because we're obviously unveiling the intelligence level of muskie here but <laughs> but but what's the most common thing that muskie anglers trollers in particular will tell you is that you know you got to keep it in the prop wash they they like the they like to 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 have it in the prop wash don't throw it way back there keep it in the prop wash well you know if if these were highly intelligent fish being in the prop They'd wash, be nowhere near your motor. <laughs> exactly, last, last you got, you go got to. sound. You yeah. got you got the water being churned. Like there's all kinds of things. They'd be like that those walleye natural. that go, brrr, go out to the sides when you have to exactly. run cleaner boards three thousand feet out there. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so true. Hey, hey Gord. Speaking of following fish, here's a question for you. It's not written down. And why are and maybe you're different at it than me and Ange and everybody that I know of. Why are Muskie so susceptible to the figure eight, but pike really aren't. You can get some pike on the figure eight, but they're so afraid of your boat. What's the deal there? You have any theories? You know, and uh, Pete, I, I, I can. I'm not sure I can ever recall catching a pike on a figure eight. I um, have. In fact, if if you're not certain what followed your bait in, and you just catch that big dark glimpse that came behind, if it streaks off fast. You can almost be certain it's a northern. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if it follows, they, they use. And I, I, again, um, number one, especially the big fish, we're talking 30, 32, 33 year old animals. Right. These are old, old grandmothers. Um, uh, I wouldn't say they're senile, but, uh, um, you know, they're, they're, they're curious. They're they're looking for reasons. And musky anglers, by and large, we tend to be very rhythmic in the way we present our baits. Absolutely. And so we'll throw a top water, and then right at the last minute, on a, on a, on a tail spinner or something, uh, right at the last minute at the boat, we'll see the fish, and then we start doing all the things we should have done, and then we induce that take. And I'm saying again, if you if you make those long casts, assume on every single fish that you have a fish following, and then at a key moment, it might be against a, a big boulder halfway to the boat or maybe a fallen tree. So if you fire into shore and you're bringing it along the edge of a fallen tree, right when you get your bait at the end of the tree, make a directional change, pow, 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 and then stop, boom, he hits. If you just fire it in and then keep reeling it right back out, oh, i got to follow to the side of the boat. <laughs> it's so yeah. true. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and when you think sense. about it, it makes so much sense. And and maybe even uh, expand that into other 
uh, sport fish as well, you know, and I'm thinking in terms of spinner baits for smallmouth bass, you know, maybe, maybe a little more erratic action with that spinner bait or drop. How many times have we dropped, stopped the spinner bait dropped and you got a, all of a sudden a hit. So the same thing would apply, right? And, and well, the old days of throwing uh, uh, crankbaits for bass, uh, if you're not banging bottom, hitting trees, hitting boulders, getting ricochets, having it veer off one side, you're not getting bit. Yeah. True. So true. Hang on. So true. Once again, Doc, you have amazed us. What can I tell you? <laughs> um, what's coming up this year? Anything uh, exciting in terms of Outdoor Canada? Are you doing any... Uh, you know, this, uh, believe it or not, this is the uh, magazine's fiftieth uh, anniversary. Yes. No so way. you know, awesome. yeah. So we're celebrating every edition. Uh, I had my fifty favorite uh, uh, fishing, kind of my fifty favorite uh, uh, fish that I've caught over the years, wow. and then in the summer edition that's just come out, uh, my fifty favorite tricks for catching trout. And I'm hoping actually come the fall, uh, for the fall edition, we might do uh, my 50 favorite musky tricks. Holy man, we have a hard time around here doing our top maybe, five. Maybe Patrick will <laughs> maybe Patrick will accept twenty five pictures of Ange and twenty five pictures of Pete, and we'll just paste them all over the magazine. Yeah, there everywhere. you go. <laughs> uh, by the way, Gord, I just I'm in the process of reading your trout article. It's very good, as usual. Oh, thank very you. Very good. So, uh, for thank those of you. you who can't get enough uh, from uh, from Mr. Gord Pizer, you can find him everywhere. I mean, there is not a place where where he doesn't shine. Uh, Outdoor Canada Magazine, of course, he is the field editor for that fine publication, but uh, he is available on Ontario tourism websites. He's available on, well, he's available everywhere. All the socials, look yeah. him up. Anything special to tell him, Gord? No, uh, outdoorcanada.ca and just uh, punch in my name for Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and unfortunately, my picture will come up. Yeah, <laughs> that'll scare him away. Hey, will it ever? Hey, Gordy, thank you so much for uh, making this possible today. We really appreciate uh, you taking some time out of your busy schedule and joining us, and hopefully we can do it again soon. Well, thank you, boys. It's always fun to get together with you. Thank you. Gordon Pizer, the doc, the fish doc, Just is the reason great, why. Eh? Just, I love talking with Gord because we can't, we cannot stay like we could not stay on musky that entire time, no. right? Because it just breaks no. off into other and it's and justifiably so. Need, you know, you just you start equating things and and comparing things, et cetera, et cetera. That's it's a just, good point to make. I mean, we we brought him on this musky episode because he knows a lot about musky. He is. It's a very not because he is one dimensional by any means. In fact, oh, musky are probably not the, the at least the top of, of his list, anyways. Yeah, but. He knows so much about fish behavior and, exactly. and fishing is just, uh, you couldn't have a musky episode without, uh, without Gordy on it. Yep, for sure. All righty. Uh, what do we need to remind folks about, Mr. Bowman? Well, I, I'm assuming that they should be checking us out at fishingcanada.com in case they want to enter a contest or two or three or four uh, oh. ongoing all the time on fishingcanada.com. They could certainly go to our social sites as, uh, as well, Instagram and, and uh, Facebook, and they will of course get pushed to the contest there too if we you know if they deem to be uh they want to be a recipient of some freebies and, and of course of we course. always have room for you at the fish in canada show on global television network coast to coast saturday mornings in this country 
um, 8 o'clock Saturday mornings here in the central part of the country, 8 o'clock out west. Uh, Sportsman's Channel. Sportsman Channel. Sportsman Channel Canada. Sportsman Channel Canada as well. We play, I think, four times a week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On that uh, wonderful uh, uh, and, distribution And if you network. want to comment and, and, and give us a nice five-star rating on this uh, podcast, yeah. that'd be nice, too. And give us a comment. And, and it, again, if you want to send a question in, info at fishingcanada.com. Yeah, Did I? We're uh, very receptive to all, any and all, even the bad stuff, if they want to say bad. I got called an a-hole the other day, so it was well, good. Well, there's a surprise. Well, uh, not by you this time. Oh, okay. but, that, that is a surprise. <laughs> uh, did I hear somewhere... Was there rumblings around here at Pine Post that, that we Uh-oh. are going to, at some point, be rewarding folks for for giving us uh, uh, comments on the podcast and stuff? I think so. Something Explain to that. me, Lucy. I think, I think people are going to be, uh, uh, but so I would get started on that right away. Uh, comment, comment we're gonna, on we're the comments. Buying our audience is that what reviews? You're no, we're not. We oh. we 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 want we are soliciting reviews. Oh. Okay. Reviews, like not buying audience. Okay. We're, although we're certainly not above that. Let's be perfectly honest. <laughs> okay. Uh, but no, uh, yeah, for reviews, give us a review on what you uh, think about this this podcast in particular or any other podcast that we produce and let us know. And and somewhere down the road, I believe there's there's some goodies out there. Uh-huh. Yeah, that'd be nice. That there would be go. very nice. Very That's it. We got to run. Uh, I got to go get my musky gear tuned up. Woo, son, that's going to be fun. Get him going, buddy. <laughs> On behalf of the entire Outdoor Journal podcast crew, uh, Dean, Jordan, uh, Pete, I'm Ange. Have a great uh, fishing weekend, folks. Take care. Bye-bye.